now streaming only on Disney+. Plus. My name is Taylor. Welcome to the Eras Tour. Experience Taylor Swift's record-breaking Eras Tour. Swift, the Eras Tour, Taylor's version, with four additional acoustic songs. Now streaming only on Disney Plus. Welcome to the Game of Thrones podcast, the officially unofficial podcast for Game of Thrones on HBO. I'm Jim. I'm Aaron. And today we're talking about Season 6, Episode 6, entitled Blood of My Blood. Uh, how, what was your opinion done over the last two days since the episode aired? Uh, I don't know. I like. Uh, I kind of stand by my assessment that it's a moving the pieces around the board episode, but still maintain... It's still... still able to deliver a couple of important revelations and important plot details to kind of keep things moving forward even as they're shifting things around. And I really like uh, the kind of mystery about Marjorie's counterplot, perhaps. You know, like yeah. I'm more and more convinced that she is orchestrating her own kind of... She, she's de- she decided to go and kind of like forge her own path. Yeah, the more I think about the the previous episode where she went and talked with uh, Loris and mm-hmm. and and you know her conversation in the the set there with uh, Tom and I guess that's where they're keeping her yeah in the set yeah and and the fact that it seems like it was just a done deal like before yeah. the uh, which which kind she of was so defiant and then flip flop completely and that makes me think ploy. And the fact that there's a little bit of plotting with the High Septon because it does, does seem like he trapped Mace and Lady Olena and Jamie in a trap because yeah. it was already decided. It wasn't Jamie's show of force that had him, like they hadn't shaved her head. Uh, notice re- the really telling thing is all of Tommen's Kingsguard now have the seven pointed star in their breastplate, which Probably. jumped out at me on the second watch. That, yeah. Okay, well. They've had time to rebrand the entire royal entourage. This was something put into place, which you kind of think there were some guilty glances to uh, Uncle Kevin mm-hmm. from the king when he was dismissing his father uncle from his service. What do you call a father uncle? Uh, I don't know. Funkle? <laughs> sure. <laughs> Unker? Uh, and I felt like that there might have been some maneuvering. Uh, that we'll probably explore as the episode goes on. But now, it's surprisingly complex, if not, you know, there's nothing like the burning of the cows or the dying of the Hodors, but still a lot of good stuff. Yeah, okay. I, I'm, I largely agree with that. Uh, we have a little bit of an announcement before we get into the recap. Yeah, a couple things I want to talk about. First off is a good news, bad news situation. Uh, bad news is that we have to record a day early next week because my father's having... Uh, uh, heart sur- open heart surgery on Tuesday next week, and I got to drive back to Indianapolis to be with my family for that. Uh, so we're probably going to have a truncated uh, feedback section. The good news is that we will probably be releasing a day early because why not? We're recording a day early, so you'll get the full cast a day early, and then any feedback that you know if there's really critical things we can miss, I can always talk about on the next week. 
Uh, one other final note is, uh, as previously mentioned, me and Jim are going to be headlining the Rocket City NerdCon in Huntsville, Alabama. Tickets did go on sale last week. Uh, 25 bucks for the weekend pass, $15 for a day pass. We'll be hosting some panels. There'll be co- uh, cosplay contests, lots of other stuff uh, that, uh, as we get more information, we'll uh, talk about it. If you want to get info on that, rocketcitynerdcon.org is the site you need to go to. And all that stuff will be in the show notes as well as their facebook and twitter if you want to follow along for the latest news okay sounds good let's start with uh mira she's dragging brand through the snow while he's having all kinds of visions but eventually she's unable to continue she's no hodor uh when the whites close in a mysterious guy on a horse shows up to save the day kind of wielding a an interesting weapon a, a fireball on a chain fire mace setting them ablaze fire. uh it's not not just the uh, political slogan in the uh, the Reach, Land of the Tyrells. Not the fire mace. It's it's actually a weapon. I okay. tried to make a joke there. I don't think I, it landed. I don't I don't know enough to get it. Sorry. You know the dopey guy with the three feathers that got led around as his name's Mace Tyrell. He's uh-huh. the Lord of the the High Garden and the Reach. And people, after seeing him being led around on his horse, want to fire him, want to oh. impeach him, want to impeach him. See, I told wow. you. Wow. It would start off pretty bad, then I explained it just got somehow worse. So Okay, well, let's try and save it with some visions. There's a lot of stuff packed in here. Holy shit, are there. Uh, some stuff that we know about, some stuff we might have to talk about in the spoiler section, but I'm going to run down kind of the major things that we you see. Can, we here. can at least describe what we're seeing, yeah? Right, because everyone can do that. They can go and, freeze frame it and check it out. And, and I'll provide color commentary. It's not too hard on, on go if you go to various fan sites. Well, shit, I'll, just, I'll link it too. Uh, there, someone took the time to take all the individual freeze frames and put them. There's like 59 of them. There's a lot of them. a lot of a lot of overlap and repeat. But uh, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll post that in the show notes if you guys want to kind of pour over it with us. Yeah, and some of these are are spread out. Like uh, when I talk about the the Mad King uh, shouting Burnham all and Jamie killing him and sitting on the throne. Mm-hmm. I don't. That doesn't happen all chronologically yeah, back yeah. to back sure. but it's spread out through through the vision so i'm just going to lump it i together. want chronologically all 59 no, images described that would take Go. too long <laughs> so we see the wildfire being pulled out of storage being poured and used set up set ablaze it looks like set ablaze underneath king's landings in the uh which is curious because that's not what has happened or has happened in the past Right, and it, it makes you wonder, are we seeing future? I think we're seeing past. I think we're seeing the, the Mad King's rule, yeah. um, as, as told in legend. Uh, and this is all stuff we've heard before. Sure. We've heard it described. Now we're actually seeing these things. Do you think that the a- actual explosion was just, um, is that like an artifact of the vision? Or do you think that's an alternate timeline? Or do you think that's something that may yet happen? Because we know that there was quite a few caches underneath the city Tyrion used some of that but also a bunch of new wildfire to do yeah. the whole blackwater mm-hmm. um gambit are is this a warning that there might be yet untapped caches of wildfire uh there could there could definitely be and i think um it's interesting when also paired with the visions of season two that danny saw of king's landing just the throne room totally destroyed she's looking up through holes in the ceiling uh she's just kind of walking through it and we assumed that there was falling snow but Uh it's also pointed out many times that could be ash so could be ash yeah it could also be snow could be the white walkers coming down but but if that's prophetic in any sense then she may actually show up king's landing after it's been burned by wildfire 
uh, or potentially dragon fire because there are also shots of dragons flying, a town burning. Lots of uh, dragons p- flying. Potentially burning with maybe a dragon shadow above it. Yeah. Uh, and it looked like to me that that is King's Landing. It's got to be. I mean, I the architecture there... It's pretty distinctive. And yeah, that's one thing I admire about of- the show is that they are fairly good at... Every every place has a distinct look and feel. It even does. even like yeah. Castle Black from Winterfell, you can visually right. distinguish fairly easily. Let alone like Dorne from King's Landing. So I feel fairly confident that this is a King's Landing dragons flying over kind of thing. Right now, we know that the dragons have been around King's Landing Historically, before, so sure. it's not for sure that this is Danny's dragon. Could be um, back to the days of Aegon or later Targaryens that still had badass dragons. Right. Um, and then, yeah, we see the, the Mad King being killed by Jamie, and him kind of just perching up there on the throne for a sec. Now, that's something um, I I thought that in the show that there's conversations with J- between Jamie or Ned or Jamie and Brienne alluding to him sitting on the Iron Throne after he had killed Eris. Because that, uh-huh. in the books, um, you know, that's well established that Ned Stark came to King's Landing... Uh, after the betrayal of the Mad King Eris and the mm-hmm. Lannister sacking the city, and he saw Jaime Lannister there in his uh, with his golden hair and his white uh, plate armor, sitting on the, you know kind of casually or like you know like like Jaime would do, sitting on the Iron Throne, yeah. and uh, Ned kind of telling him get the fuck off. I don't know. I, I watched all the. I actually went back and watched the scene, like in season one, where Ned confronts Jamie about his kin, king slang and and the the famous bath scene with Brienne. And I couldn't find if it that's actually established in the show, but I don't Here, feel like it's too big. And there's a lot of no. people saying, "Oh, I see Jamie sitting on the Iron Throne. Maybe this is going to be a hint to what happens in the future." And mm, oh. I mean, I can't you have to make a stronger case than that because in right. context, it's clearly showing his assassination of the Mad King yes. and and the aftermath yeah. of him sitting on the throne. And some people thought like, well, because of the way and I, I forgive everyone for thinking this, because unless you've actually gone through frame by frame, it's it's confusing. Some people yeah. said that the way it was shot with like a shadow of him actually getting stabbed in the back and all this, that maybe it was actually Ned who killed him and not Jamie. But they they do both. And and they make it pretty clear that like there's the white cloak and it's clearly Jamie from the back yep. and and you know maybe I'm not saying that Jamie won't sit the Iron Throne yet again maybe he will but it's a historic fact in the books and I think maybe the show maybe not that he did during this one assassination attempt so I think those are all of a piece yeah I agree uh, there's also the White Walkers doing their thing at Hard Home specifically breaking through the gates or, or the wall there there's also a glimpse uh, of them being at the fist of the first men too uh, like, there there yep, is yeah okay um and and specifically they do the shot of this woman whose kids were killed uh and and John had had some contact with yes uh, i don't know if they're trying to say anything there like oh she's going to come back or anything it just could but, be the greatest you know the white walker's greatest hits right <laughs> uh and then of course john actually killing a white walker at hardhome hmm. which is important right uh we see bran falling from the tower which we saw earlier in the show catelyn and rob being killed at the red wedding danny emerging from the fire the first time uh the funeral pyre of the cow uh, White Walkers turning the human baby into their own. Sure. The Craster's Keep baby. Uh, we see Ned's beheading. We see the young Ned at the Tower of Joy. Uh, we see a bloody hand kind of balling up into a fist next to what looks like a sliced open torso. Uh, we see a three-eyed raven flying around and the creation of 
the first White Walker by the Children of the Forest, which yeah. is what you were talking about, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we finally oh, well, see Bran. The, the first spin that was the um, in season two. Well, at the end of season, well, no, is in season two the battle of the White Walkers where they decimated the Black Brothers. That little oh okay hideout that that ruined that, uh, fortress was called the Fist of the First Men. It was like an old old fortress or encampment. Gotcha. It was like the first significant human White Walker interaction, other than the one ranging party that ran into them in the very first episode, right? Uh, and then we finally see Bran being touched by the White Walker, which uh, we just saw a couple episodes ago. Mm-hmm. Last episode? I don't know. It happened very, very recently. Yes. Um, so I don't I don't know how much more we want to talk about with these visions. A lot of it is just stuff we've already seen in the show. Well, I will and say it's that... Just, it's clear that he is learning basically everything about the history of Westeros that the Three-Eyed Raven knew. Yeah. I will say that there's been some sleuthing done on Reddit where people have done frame-by-frame analysis, and they compared... You mentioned the bloody hand over the bloody torso. Mm-hmm. The greaves on that those hands match identically to what Ned was wearing in the Tower of Joy sequence. Okay. So, so it could be an aftermath of that, because um, you know we heard a woman scream, and he went right. and took a sword to go see what that was about. So there could be some some revelations around that. Okay, um, and I already kind of hypothesized about Danny's visions and stuff. So the most interesting stuff is the wildfire, and you know, and I, I feel like that. There might be some some yet more information to mine from this, but it seems like it was getting. We're, we're supposed to understand that Bran is getting force fed everything mm-hmm. as the the three eyed yeah. Raven promised him he would, and that, uh, l- like we discussed in Instant Cast, I don't think, and I think it's obvious that Bran doesn't have time to process all this. Sure, it's just a, a data dump that he's going to have to then explore and think about later, and probably master his green seeing more because if he knew everything he it wouldn't have been mysterious about why Benjen was there and who Benjen was and like he doesn't have instant omniscient knowledge of everything it's 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 it takes him a while to unpack that which is kind of exciting but is there any other yeah. like uh well I'm, I'm trying to think definitive things we could talk about i don't know if it's definitive but i am leaning toward the idea that this is not a a premonition of any kind. Um, that these visions are all taking place in the past, and it's just a historical data. So there dump. is no future. So the wild... I don't know if Bran can at all see into the future. That's, that's that's my big question. That's another. Yeah, that's a good point. Now, the only thing I would quibble with that is the wildfire cache exploding. That's either poetic license or a glimmer into the future because right. it doesn't really match any known historical events. Yeah, and we don't know about these dragons flying over the town. That could be a future glimpse sure. of Danny. Like, sure. we just don't know. It um, would be. I would. I guess it would be shocking for me to find out that he couldn't at least glimpse into the future because there's so many prophetic beings that are right. able to. That like, if that's the one weakness of the three eyed raven, uh, that uh, would be weird. But you're right; it hasn't been conclusively established yet. Right. Um, and it, it makes me wonder, like, with this, this wildfire explosion going off and the, being paired with Danny's visions about a burnt-down uh, throne room there in King's Landing, do you think Cersei might get desperate enough to set off wildfire in King's Landing? Yes. 
Cersei does okay. foolish things under pressure. We saw her arm the Faith Militant and turn a guy who essentially running a soup kitchen into arguably the most powerful man in fucking King's Landing now. Right. Uh, so, yes, could she take the wildfire out and burn up the whole city in desperation or grief if something were to happen to Tommen or if it looks like things were going to go badly for her in a trial? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because I now, do want to talk about the trial now, I, I, I don't. Scene, I don't know who... I, I don't. I, I keep. I, I was turning this over in my mind. Like, who could she use? Because she doesn't have any real power at this point. Right. The only power she has is probably, you know, as mentioned in a previous episode, through her what a little influence she has over her son at this point. Well, there's one other person I can think of. Maester Pycelle. Is that what you're thinking? Kyburn. Oh, Kyburn. Right. Because he's the one kind of he would probably know, providing be, her with her tools. He would probably be chatting up the pyromancers and finding out right. what's what about that. Yep. Might that's be true. Him. That's Might true. Be. He's actually better. He's 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 the yeah. I don't think she has the maester in her pocket. Pycelle? Yeah. Well, but she can probably threaten or bully or cajole him into because he seems I like he's be just yeah. a complete toady. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I, so that's the thing. How would she lay hands on it and be able to to execute some kind of crazy plan? But yeah, you know, there's a lot of you know tumult or turmoil and. Uh, and bloodshed yet to go in King's Landing, probably. So, I think so. Just because Kevin and Tommen have things in the High Sparrow right now doesn't mean they will two episodes from now. Yeah. Okay, let's move on. Oh, before uh, that, yeah. any commentary about this uh, emergency rescuing of Binjin that he was... Uh, they, they said that he was impaled through the chest by one of those ice blades. It, it's which means not you're gonna, actually this you're gonna, scene, you're gonna, but you're gonna, okay. <laughs> Oh, it isn't? No, there's, oh, fuck, it's, it's split. Right. It's at it's the split. end. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. We can talk about it. No, no, no. Let's wait till the end. Okay. Uh, Sam McGilly approach Sam's home by stagecoach, which is called Horn Hill. Is that right? It seems. Yes. Yes, it is. It. Uh, they talk about the countryside, how beautiful it is, and how the colors change. And then they go over what they're going to say about who she is and who the kid is and how they met and all the lies they're going to tell his parents. Uh, when they arrive at the castle, Sam's mother and sister greet him and are nothing but pleasant and inviting. You mm-hmm. you really don't see the problem here uh, yes. until later. <laughs> uh, just a quick note that where they're at is the Reach. This is the kingdom from which Marjorie Tyrell and Loras Tyrell and Lady Olenna hmm. hail from. And it's the okay. it's the breadbasket of Westeros. Right. Um, All the grain. Yeah. Yep. Uh I was not expecting Horn Hill to be this nice. I will say, like, holy shit, they are rich. Yeah. Uh-huh. I, I, I was actually, expecting more of just a very small keep. Yeah, I actually <laughs> kind of viewed askance at how nice it was. Like, I don't know. I mean, he's certainly... The, you know, Randall Tarley is one of the major lords of the Reach. And, uh-huh. and 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 they are balling. I mean, they might not be as rich as the Lannisters, or at least the Lannisters, until their gold ran out. Um, mm-hmm. But... I was surprised at just how how amazing everything was. Yeah, like compare this to Winterfell, who has like you know part of it's collapsing, and like I get it that like it's not as there's not nearly as much money to be had up north, but like it did mm-hmm. seem like man, maybe Mace Tyrell should think about levying higher taxes against his lords <laughs> if they can have castles this fine. Like you gotta, yeah, it's a fine line between keeping them dependent and subservient and letting them get too high and mighty because might be. Uh, you know, Lord Tarly, uh, master of the Reach, if they don't watch out. Could be. Yeah, given given the nature of Mace versus the nature of Randall, I think... Yeah, I feel like it's... I, Randall I, you, could take You him. wonder what happens to the family when Lady Olenna dies. Yeah. 
<laughs> she seems to be wearing the pants. Mace, I'm, I'm Mace, sure. I keep on thinking of like him in in terms of Big Head from uh-huh. uh, Silicon Valley, right? I'm like he could easily give away the keys of the kingdom and not even know it. Wait, what? <laughs> My business manager, Lady uh, Lady Olena, wants to talk to you about what we're, you're doing here, Tarly. Uh the other thing that I question: what is his sister's name? Tala. I ta- ta- Tarla. Uh, you got you got to be flat footed here, man. Tarla Tarly, is that her fucking name? Uh, Good yeah. God! I don't know, but uh, uh the names in this show, I will well, never so understand them. I I heard, and I didn't look at this up because this was just I wasn't going to mention it in the podcast as amusement. That apparently, uh, Sam's younger brother's name is Dickon. It is Dickon. Yeah. So it's Dickon Tarly. Oh, uh, God. Anyway, Gilly looks very confused by this whole reception. She was expecting much worse. I could rip off Bob and, an old Bob and Tom bit and say that he could really he, he could mm-hmm. he could go in for some, uh, the hard cider business because you know sure. who doesn't like a hard dick and cider? Right, right. <laughs> I'm sure people out there are hearing that for the first time. Yeah, and sure. Going, oh, that's clever. Yeah, no, I totally shamelessly I've... ripped off from a radio show 20 years ago. Right. Uh, let's move on if you're okay with that. Yes, the High Sparrow. And Tommen are discussing Marjorie's Walk of Atonement, and then Tommen is invited to see her. And when he goes to her, Marjorie has turned into an acolyte of the High Sparrow, and Tommen is completely on board with it. He's like, yeah, you know, this High Sparrow guy's got a thing or two going on. You know, it was weak, so on subsequent rewatches, I thought it was interesting that it's almost like neither Marjorie nor Tommen were completely willing to talk about their honest opinion of the High Sparrow. That Tommen was afraid, like, he's like, she's like, oh, she's nothing like what I expected. And Tommen's like, no, totally. What did you think of? Like, he wasn't, do you see where I'm going here? Like, there was a little bit of, like, them dancing around their true opinion of it. And I feel like the Marjorie eventually took the lead to, was she hoping that she could ask this open-ended leading questions as the last-ditch effort that, like, are you going to man up and save me? Or are you just going to go along with this whole thing? Hmm. And when he said there's nothing that can be done and, you know, blah, 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 and I'm kind of swaying towards the, the High Sparrow, that she decided, okay, well, now the the fate, I, I now need to make sure that I completely bend you to his will so that I can do whatever I'm trying to do here. Which might just be survive with my I, I, honor. I feel like it is, yeah. Like avoid my, the Walk of Atonement. Sure. Um, and... And kind of confuse and and get one over on the high sparrow because i think he also thinks he's got her in his pocket you know something is cool that someone reminded me in an email um i was having a discussion with and they mentioned that tommen's always kind of been about holiness because in the conversation that he had with his grandfather over joffrey's body about what is a good king and it's like you know what is the most important thing to be a king tommen's first response was holiness hmm Almost like he's predisposed to, like, maybe he was the boy that paid attention while the Septons were talking about the seven-pointed star. Yeah. And Joffrey was off torturing kittens and, you know, winding up his crossbow. Mm-hmm. Tommen was actually learning, and and he's kind of predisposed to that. And it's like a little breadcrumb the series has put that maybe he would be susceptible to a man who seems to be very sincerely preaching this this other path. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, the, the scene is super interesting because their positions have kind of flip-flopped in the meantime, right? Like, Marjorie has gone from, like, 
I'm going to get the hell out of here and you need to come save me and all that kind of stuff. We mm-hmm. need to be strong, Dolores. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now she's completely on the other side, seemingly. Uh, and Tommen has also been like, we are going to get her back. We're going to go in there and we're going to take her back. And now in this scene, he's he's trying... <laughs> he doesn't want to reveal how much he actually likes his High Sparrow guy. Right. Until Marjorie goes for it. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. It's, yeah, there's a, a fine balance there. And it's hard sure. to say with Marjorie because she's so malleable to do whatever she needs to do to get to where she wants yes. to go. Like, yeah. she went from like, hey, you know, Rinley, you need to get me pregnant. If you need to warm up by fucking my brother first, that's cool, too. Right. Yeah, Joffrey, I've always been curious about torture and dismemberment and... Uh, to Tom and like, well, that's just easy. He's 14 years old and she's super smoking hot. So yeah, that's... uh, pretty, pretty easy to, to cross that T, but yeah, uh, she has shown a unique ability to become whatever she needs to be to survive and get and prosper in a situation. So there's no yeah. fucking way this is a genuine, uh, change of heart. No, I mean she's she's definitely a product of her what grandmother's sure. upbringing, Lady Elena. Yeah, um, she, and maybe she even is, despite maybe not liking it, she has learned a thing or two from her. Do you think she's exceeded her uh, grandmother at this point? I don't because know. it feels it feels like the even Lady Olena fell for it. Yeah, she's being brought pretty low too. It's like she's completely powerless at this point. Or maybe it's not as cynical as we're saying, and maybe Marjorie has genuinely allied, like not become a true believer, but she's actually allied herself with the High Septon, seeing that he actually has power and can do something, whereas her family and her king can't do shit, apparently. Could be. But I'm leaning toward this is all fakery. To get out of the oh the for sect. sure the actual change of heart and faith is faker. I'm just saying like where her true allegiance lies. Like does it lie with anyone except for herself at this point? Oh, I doubt it. Yeah, I, I don't feel like it lies does with she still, like, anymore. How does she feel? Because the other thing is, how does she feel about Loris? Uh, uh, that's a good question. You know, because even Tommen is the one that had to bring it up in their conversation. Like, mm-hmm. what about your brother? And I wonder if she has kind of written off everyone as being useless at this point. Like, she could wanted to think that her brother could be strong, but he can't. So, fuck him. I'm, I'm going yeah. to look after me. It, that feels right to me. Although, I don't know. It does seem like that she they had a pretty special relationship, too. That would, that would make her a lot more cold-blooded than I would have thought until now. Well, some time in the dungeon might do that. Sure. <laughs> yep. Septon uh, Anella, force-feeding you the seven-pointed star. We'll do that for you. So Sam meets the new and improved Gilly, who can barely walk in her fancy dress. And they go into his father's hall to eat. During the meal, uh, Randall, Sam's father, insults him repeatedly, pointing to the family sword that he's unfit to wield. And when Gilly tries to stand up for him, she accidentally reveals that she's a wildling. And Sam's father says he'll keep the wildling to work in the kitchen, and the bastard son will be raised, but this will be the last night that Sam ever spins in, in uh, Horn Hill. Eh... Uh. He's just a blowhard. He probably said that before he sent him to the wall, too. And now look right. at him. One more night. Just come on. One more night, Dad. One more night. <laughs> Something tells me that Randall's not a blowhard. I think he means what he says. Yeah, but it's interesting that he's got this relationship with his wife where, you know, he doesn't... He, She is able to hold sway over him to some extent. Oh, yeah. Sure. I mean, she can't make him a likable person, mm-hmm. but uh, she can bend his will to some extent yeah uh that that i forget exactly what it is that he says 
um, here to indicate that. But that to, it's like, to, to please your mother, I'll let the wildling serve as a scullery maid, essentially. But yeah. that's that's as far as it goes. Okay, and then Sam uh, goes to to Gilly in her room to tell her what's up because they left during this whole fiasco. Yeah, uh, kind of in the middle of it, and. Gilly tries to convince him that he's better than his father thinks, but he says goodbye and walks out the door for about 10 seconds. Then he comes busting back in, uh, tells her, hey, get your stuff. We're leaving. She says, I don't have any stuff. (laughs) And then he goes and steals the family sword from the dining hall. So this was a little confusing to me when I first watched it, but on a couple other watches, it's clear, you know, the line where Sam says... He didn't stand up for himself because he was afraid that his father would turn. If he pissed him off and showed any resistance at all, his his ultimate goal, his de- definition of winning is Gilly is safe and his son, adopted son, is safe here at, in his father's powerful keep. So he was way, willing to swallow whatever rivers of shit and piss to, to get that accomplished. Because I thought it was weird. It's like, you know, you, you did kill a fucking White Walker, Sam. Yeah, he doesn't. And you have kind of uncovered the secret of their undoing, and you know you had like as guys as powerful as Stannis, let alone John blowing smoke up your ass. Like you should have a bit more of a spine. And I get it, you're seeing your father for the first time, but yeah. it, but that that made sense. Like that wasn't he didn't wasn't there to protect his honor. He was there to make sure his family was safe. Right. And then when it became clear to me him that they might be safe, but it would be a terrible, miserable existence, worse than he even had, which was pretty bad, he's like, fuck this, I'm, I'm going my own route. Yeah, I mean, I like the character of Sam a lot because he doesn't instigate these sorts of things, and he doesn't feel like he needs to really respond to them. He'll just go do his own thing. Yes. Like, I'm going to become a maester, and like my path doesn't really lie with my family anymore. It's just, I'm kind of making my own way, and... Yeah, I I need them for a second. I need them to take my my wife and child here, but he doesn't really care anymore. I don't think that his father won't let him wield this sword or anything. Uh, he kind of takes the sword as a fuck you. Yeah, in my opinion, anyway. Well, so there's there'll be some some far-reaching conversations about this in the uh, feedback section. But I just want to okay. tease: Are we sure he's going to the Citadel at this point? No, I mean, he's, he still like, has to do something with Gilly and the baby, right? I mean, yeah. if if he's in fact right and they won't let them stay in Old Town, uh-huh. then he's got to get him somewhere. I mean, right. I mean, yeah. So we'll save some of that. I don't want to serve up too much dry pie. It's one thing for you okay. to do it. It's really cold-blooded when I do it intentionally. So we'll wait for the feedback for <laughs> right. people to have their say. Uh, the other thing about Gilly is <sighs> she's pretty dumb. She's pretty dumb. Like, I like where her heart's at. But she is still kind of dumb. How so? The way she gives, she's standing up for for Sam here, and she gives a, the whole thing away. She's like, "Oh, we were coming down from the, down toward the wall." Yeah, but from Gilly's perspective, I don't think she's afraid to be turned out into the world. Oh, I don't no, think so. Like, but she's like, the you plan, know what? I can go fucking wash dishes at any tavern and make enough coin to feed my baby, and I'll be fine. I don't need to suck up to this asshole. So like yes, but, but she, she clearly didn't intentionally no, reveal right. that. You're right. She once she realized, oops, I fucked up. Then you're she right. goes all in, and she's like, "Yeah, I'm a wildling. Sure. What what of it? Yeah. Uh, but she she does make mistakes, and you know. But I like how she's there to help Sam along, uh, mm-hmm. and kind of give him a pep talk when he needs it oh so often. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I don't know. Still working well for me their relationship. Uh, the play of the Lannisters concludes with Joffrey's death and Tywin's murder. Uh, 
during this, Arya sees an amazing performance from Lady Crane, which the, the whole crowd responds to. And during kind of the, the finale here, she runs back to the dressing room and poisons a rum. But before she can get out, Lady Crane spots her and starts asking her questions about why she's hanging around. Mm-hmm. She pretends to be interested in the acting and proposes changes to the play. And then she leaves, but returns just in time to smack the rum out of Lady Crane's hand and point the finger at Bianca, saying, this one wants you dead. Watch her. Uh, and then we see the wave hovering in the room. And, oh, sure. Uh, Arya goes and retrieves Needle, and the wave goes to Jacken for permission to go after Arya. He agrees, and then we see Arya hiding in some stone room. Holy shit, that's a lot of ground to cover. I know. Um, I just wanted to describe the whole thing. I continue to like the 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 drama within the drama of this kind yeah. of farcical performance, and like this, like I I, I love the little practical effects, like uh, Joffrey cutting the pie and the birds coming out, and uh, uh, also I also like the fact that they've almost cast Tyrion as a villain, not just because it flatters them, but. It seems like everyone thinks that Tyrion has come to Essos, so he might be like the boogeyman. Like, watch out, the door. He's now walks among you. He could be slitting your throat in the right. streets because, like, he's like almost. Because he's a monster. Yeah, he's kind of yeah. like the Iron Sheik of this role. He's just antagonizing the crowd and and uh, getting all the heat, uh, the cheap heat. But right. I thought that was kind of an interesting, and also like the fact that they show this guy as kind of being a hack. Like he's the Joffrey character, not the Joffrey character, oh. the the guy who plays uh, Tywin, who is the also the I guess the director and writer. Yeah, they, it, they're all hacks. The only one who isn't is Lady Crane. I guess that's true. Yeah, She's they're... got. I wonder what her story is. And also, well, we know part of it. She she basically hung around the acting troops and and joined up with them, similar to how Arya is doing. But here. she's better than this production. So is she? Uh-huh. Was she like a really big star of her time? And that now that she's a little bit older, she's. I don't know. I mean, there's a lot. There's a lot to make of Arya's journey too here. Yeah, um, and some subtext and meta commentary and stuff. Sure, uh, because. The conversation they have about her getting kind of just caught up in this troop and just going along with it applies kind of to Arya with the sure. faceless men. Uh, she she hasn't really hit her peak yet, and I feel like that's also, you know, if you look at Lady Crane, it doesn't look like she's hit her peak, and this was about to be the end of her. Mm-hmm. So she she sees something in this woman that maybe she can achieve more. Maybe she'll go on to, I don't know, star in better plays. Yeah. <laughs> maybe she'll be... Maybe she'll start writing her own stuff, even. Yeah. Um, but there's so much more in here. I mean... Yeah, we'll, we'll explore some of that stuff later. Um, I well, thought... I mean, the lines from, from Arya, where she's talking about how she would change the play. She, like, uh, Cersei wouldn't just cry. She'd be angry, and she'd want to kill the person who did this. And uh-huh. that also reflects Arya's own journey, you know? Is that... So is that the moment she decided? The, the, so does she spare so. this woman because she feels a kinship towards her, a sympathy for her, or does she spare this woman because she's decided to repudiate the faceless men? Like I am not. I think no it's one. both. I think there's like some weird causal loop here, right? Yeah. Where where she gets talking with this lady, she has a little bit of respect for her. She sees the the parallels, and she goes, "I'm not going to do this." And so she comes back and smacks the rum out. Right uh, now, that whole bottle's poisoned. 
sure. know if she's going to go back for more and be like, well, that was weird. Well, glug, she does glug, glug. dumbass on her. <laughs> right. Like, oh, glad I avoided this glass of poison. Glug, glug. I would just get rid of the whole bottle, honestly. Mm. The bottle and all. Yeah, not, sure. Not just Be the safe. booze. And you maybe stab the, 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 the fake Sansa with the, yeah. the broken bottle, too. Why not? at it. Because it's not like she's going to not try again. Also, I wonder what she paid the faceless men. Yeah. I, and, well, the other thing is... Wh- are we 100% sure that Arya's got this right? Like, I, I wonder if there's going to, if this is just the plot point that it is, or we're going to find out that Arya's actually cocked this situation up and her analysis is completely wrong, that the younger woman wasn't responsible for poisoning her, because... Uh, I I feel like it's a pretty straight read. Yeah. I, I don't... I don't feel like we need to dig too much okay. to, to find the true meaning. I think it's on the surface. All right. For and, that. and it might, like I said, it might come back around and we can discuss it then, but you're okay. probably right. It's just a, this is just the pivot that Arya needed to shift her into the trajectory. We've wanted her to be on all along, which is being her, being her own self. Yeah. Uh, have we talked about the waif's grudge against Arya in the past? I don't think like how, so. How she's kind of, Seemingly has it out for Arya, because mm-hmm. uh, in this scene, it's it's apparent that she has asked for permission to take out Arya. Well, she's always like I always thought that she was kind of like the adversary. Like you know, you've got someone who is sponsoring you, and you got someone who's trying to f- probe your weaknesses, and you need mm-hmm. both of those to like get a recruit through the system. But it does seem like they're. If not personal, she just doesn't like the fact, and, and who knows, like the fact that she was highborn lady, and now she's over here, and she's just playing at being an assassin, whereas I'm the, you know, she's being an assassin hipster. I don't know that they've actually shown us all the reasons why she doesn't like Arya, but she's been skeptical from the jump. Uh, she has. Um, I don't really want to save all this for feedback. I'm sure people mention this, but I was reading around on Reddit, and there's a lot of theories about so I might serve up some dry pie here okay. to a few of our, our writers, um, emailers, but I'm going for it. Uh, so we have seen the waif um, be a little antagonistic toward her, and I know you could write it off as she that's just her role in this whole thing. Um, the other way you could read it is that th- that she actually does have a grudge against Arya because she has asked, she specifically has asked Jacken, like, look, if she fucks up, if she flunks out of this, can I be the one to go after her? Mm-hmm. Because she, in this scene, she's like, you promised yeah. I could do this. And Jacken's like, all right, go for it. Now, that doesn't seem to fit with the character of the Faceless Man. That's a little strange to me that that a person training you would have some kind of grudge toward you. Because these people aren't, they're just supposed to be servants, right? Sure. Don't ask questions. Don't get your feelings involved. Just do as you're told. Yeah. Uh does that mean that maybe this is part of Jacken's plan? Is it possible that he's like, look, Boy, you are this s- is a test. I, I yeah, told you I was going to uh-huh, step all over uh-huh. their feedback. Uh, this could be a test both for the Waif and for Arya, and whoever comes out on top is the next faceless man. So you're assuming that the the Waif is essentially a recruit of sorts, too, that she's right. maybe, or if, if she's a rookie, or she's not any more experienced than Arya. I mean, um, she she may be more experienced than Jacken. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I don't know what the power structure is here, sure, sure. really. But, but yes, I am making that assumption. No, that's definitely a theory that could be that could have some legs to it. Because there's also, if you want to, if if you just want to complete the the conversation, there's a lot of inten- intentionally ambiguous statements that he's made this week and last about 
um, you know, a girl showed so much promise. Well, I mean, that's number one, the faceless men talk that way. But number two, the indefinite pronoun and the describing it as a girl that could apply to the wave just as well as it does to Arya. And when so. uh, the wave is being skeptical about Arya in the, in the past and saying that she's not one of us and she never will be. And Jacken looks at Arya and says a girl has a point. Well, we also know that, you know, Needle, when, when John gave it to her as a present, says you take the pointy end, you stick it. That's, that's how you use it. You stick the pointy end to someone. There was an episode mm-hmm. of Game of Thrones called the pointy end. So there's this association with a girl has a point. Is Jacken aware that she has Needle? And is this intention, is, it, is, is the Faceless Men actually not recruiting her, but trying to put her on a path of some kind of destiny? Or maybe this is like, the next level, like they, they, I, I always, that's something we talked about two weeks ago. Do the faceless men want unquestioning obedience or do they want people with brains that can make decisions and, and think on the fly? Because, right. you know, the only reason Arya ended up at the house of black and white is because Jack and called an audible with her. Yeah. Um, I think so, what they want is people who don't ask why, but do ask how, like, how can I get this done? Sure. Not why am I doing it? Yeah. Because that's the thing. If you are a sat, you can't have, your your morality is different if you're an assassin. Sure, it's, it's like it's kind of like we just did the uh, gross point blank pod, movie podcast. Yeah, um, you know his, the, the way he rationalized it was like, well, someone wants you dead, mm-hmm. and if it's not me, it's going to be somebody. So it might as well be me because I'll be professional about it and whatever. Mm-hmm. So it's it's not like right or wrong, but I mean that's this is Ned Stark's little girl, and Ned Stark would not kill a person for no damn good reason. And I think that's what ultimately is what broke her. It's not the fact the fact got that too like much Stark blood in her. Yeah, like I like I hmm. will I will assassinate a kitty diddler. I'll assassinate someone who is taking advantage of orphans and widows. I will assassinate people who are evil and corrupt. And but you know, just a person who is the object of someone's jealousy. Fuck this. Yeah, she's, like you said, she's got too much Stark in her. D- does it make you question? her motivations for leaving the hound where he was does does she not kill him because she doesn't want to kill him any longer or because of the reason she actually gave in that scene like i'm gonna be malicious and leave you here to die slowly i think she's i think that she split the difference between what her sense of justice demanded and what the hound himself probably you know her pity for the hound in this situation yeah so it's kind of like I'm, I you know, well, it shed a new light, slow and painful. But but the way she For, said it, right? But and also in the uh, moment, that's what she did, and maybe she's given a lot of thought of it since. Like you know, when she's uh, blinded and she's in in her chambers at night, she's thought about like, oh, maybe that, you know, like I I could yeah. see a I could see a circumstance where I become the hound very easily. Right. Yeah, and she did feel a sympathy for him. Yeah, yeah. So the same as she felt for Lady Crane here, but I feel like her trajectory is kind of on the opposite of a lot of these people, where mm-hmm. they're feeling less and less sympathy, like a, like a Cersei, for instance. Yeah, which is applicable in this scene certainly. Uh, she's kind of on on the march toward a little more honorable behavior, right? Like yeah. in the weirdest of places, she's finding that from the faceless men, where they're she's supposed to be killing and doing all these things. It's almost like she's come around the other side of it. Now, I also got a lot of feedback where people were asserting that Arya went back to the House of Black and White after she retrieved Needle. I that's insane. My read of this set is this is like this is this, these black greasy bricks that she's hiding in some kind of like sewer tunnel or something. That this does mm-hmm. not look anything like her quarters at the House of Black and White. And also, what the hell would Arya do? 
why would she go back there? Did, unless she's just going to throw herself on the mercy of Jack, and I think she's too smart and too skeptical and seen too much of the world to to try something like that. So my idea is that she's on the lamb, that she has not gone back to her quarters. That was absolutely my impression of the scene, that, okay. that she is hiding out and she draws her sword not to get some revenge on Waif or, yeah. or anything, or Jack or anything, but to protect her as she sleeps, to have it by her side and ready. Yeah. Um, now, I have heard some people say, like, kind of try to explain this as, yes, she goes back to the temple and she's there to kill the waif, to pay pay for death with the life. Mm. Um, she she isn't going to kill this person, but she's going to pay for that by killing waif. That'd be interesting. Because Jacken did something, like, you know, with her. He yeah. gave her the three lives to pay for his own. Sure. Uh I mean, maybe I can see that reasoning, but I still, like, I'm sticking with she's on the run. Yeah, and and I, we don't know, and we don't know what greater plan Jacken has for all this stuff, so that's a lot of speculation. Um, mm-hmm. The other thing I want to talk about it from a stylistic point that uh, I saw mentioned online a bit, which is people expressing the desire for the episode to end on this scene. I would I would have liked that a lot, like, actually. Honestly, the, like, as cool as the, the Danny Dragon stuff was, it's only kind of really cool because I feel like they botched up the stuff before this. Because that's like a generic raw... Like, we've seen Danny the Conqueror give a raw, raw speech. Right. And it was like, you know... The, there's the people dissatisfied with the repetition of that, and I didn't think it was nearly as high a note or an interesting note as Arya blowing out the candle to the credits. That would have been fucking amazing. I thought so too, and I kind of feel like they fucked up, honestly. It, I I think so because the Danny speech in the moment is fine. It's it's rousing and it's good, and you see her intention. However, they've just described that they have a week's walk back to Marine. Sure, it's... She doesn't have ships she needs to actually attack. So it, ultimately, it goes nowhere, right? It's, it's just like, it's... It's, if, you were, if you were a week out from the Super Bowl and you got everybody in the locker room and said, all right, guys, we're going to fucking do this. Let's tear them up. Yeah. Next Sunday. Right. <laughs> like, right. What's the point? Yeah. And now, like... now, they did make a good point that the only time you have to make a first impression with the dragon is when they first see it. Yeah. And I think it is a good time to deliver a speech, but to end the episode on that just didn't feel quite right to me. Yeah, and there's a couple other problems I have with that scene, but we'll wait till like, we get there. But yeah, I, I, okay. I thought that this... In fact, when she did blow out the candle and there's the, a couple frames of black, I'm like, fuck, this felt like a, a very short episode. It would have been. Because yeah. it just felt like that was the natural place you would stop. But yeah. anyway, say I love you. Okay, let's move on to Jamie and Mace. Uh, they march some troops to the temple to reclaim Marjorie and Loras by force. Unfortunately, the plan has changed. Tommen emerges from the temple, and the High Septon declares an alliance between the Crown and the Faith. Holy shit. I was so... Like, never have I been more excited at the beginning of a scene and bummed out at the end. Yeah. I was ready for him to get some justice. And, like, in contrast to Mace's inept horsemanship, if you can even <laughs> call it that... Like, Jamie right. riding up the steps of the Sept was kind of badass. and It was, yeah. That's actually Nicolaj Castor-Waldo... Waldo? Waldo? I don't Doing know. that, too. Like While doing it. He's doing his own damn stunt horsemanship, riding up those stone steps with the... I mean, that seems... That's impressive. Seems dangerous. Uh, I wouldn't want to do it, but... No. I, <laughs> I thought it was really, really fucking cool, too. It was. Uh, I was so hyped at the beginning of this scene. I'm like, yes, and they the, have the troops. And it, the crowd seems to be on the High Septon side, but uh-huh. then it looks like the High Septon's going to blink because he's doing the mat, but it just all falls to shit at the end. Or does it? Yeah. 
Because honestly, uh, Marjorie being in control of things is not the worst thing that could happen to Westeros. I agree. Not even in the top ten. No, I totally agree. And I think if anybody is going to be able to de- defeat the High Septon, it's someone who understands him. And I think Marjorie has a pretty good insight on this guy at no, this point. No, I do. With the Kingsguard coming out with the Faith of the Seven, the Seven Stars on her breastplates and all that, I'm a little confused about the mechani- the mechanisms of all this. Like, <laughs> right. Did Tommen really do all this without consulting his mother or Kevin Lannister? Has Kevin Lannister brokered this? Like, who, like, when? He must have. How much time elapsed that they could arm these guys such with the breastplates and, you know, have it as a surprise? Now, like, there's a lot of, like, it's, like, it's cool and it's not a fatal confusion. It just kind of has me scratch my head and be like, how did all this happen? Because right. a lot of this now, stuff was out of the High Septon's hands to control. If I remember correctly, and and I might be wrong on this, but wasn't there a time when the Faith Militant was armed and were, like, dressed in armor and such? Like, they were kind of the force of of King's Landing? I don't think they were... I don't think they were... Like, could this be leftover armor is what I'm getting at? Well, so... they busted it out of storage. It could be, like, leftover Kingsguard armor from the days, like, Baylor to Blessed, maybe. I don't think that the King... I don't think the Faith Militant ever had like Kingsguard armor, which really? is a distinctive, like, you know, with this white enameled armor. But I don't know. I could be wrong, too. Okay. And is... So there's a seven-pointed star on there, clearly, but there's also the crown. Is that is that symb- like a new symbol of this union, or is that something that would have been I think the crown's around? always been the motif of the uh, Kingsguard. It seems like that's the one common element okay. when you look at the, so that the Kingsguard, Kingsguard from back in Rhaegar and Aerys' day versus, uh, you know, Robert and, and Tommen and Joffrey versus now. It seems like they've always featured the crown, which makes sense. Okay. Yeah, I haven't paid a lot of attention to their armor, even though it's pretty cool. Um, it's honestly one of those things where it's like... Uh, quite a bit cooler than the books because the book it's like this like you know really pristine white armor where I'm this not getting is like, white I'm just getting gold like, yeah, well I, I feel like it's it, like white and ana- like that's how something like that would actually look if you tried to do it it wouldn't be like titanium fucking white right. you know it's not gonna be like apple armor stormtrooper armor <laughs> right yeah. it's, it's gonna be like I if if it's the same way that when people sometimes people throw a fit when um, the the Daenerys doesn't have like pure white silver hair, but it's like right. That's not what silver blonde looks like, man. Like yeah. platinum blondes are not totally white hair. Like that's that's yeah. old lady hair. Okay, wait until the Kingsguard gets their rose gold armor. The then, rose, yeah. Then everybody, it's, all, it's great. Yeah, fuck the gold. It's all about the rose gold. <laughs> Why? Why is that a thing, man? I don't understand it. It's pink. Let's just call it what it is. It's pink. Well, that it, it's not even pink. It's like a gunmetal pink. It's yeah, it's the, like metallic. It's pink. the weirdest blend of uh, clash, I will say, of masculinity and femininity. And there's nothing wrong with either of those things. Sure. But, I just don't like the color. I don't either. <laughs> I can't imagine rocking a, a, a piece of hardware that's that's that hue. Well, a lot of so people. So there like we go. It, that's the that's the most controversial thing we've ever said. Yep. Rose gold. Fuck you. <laughs> okay, let's Steve go. Jobs, if Steve were here, we'd never have the rose gold. Can we agree to that? He might have ventured. I'm not sure. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Tommen dismisses Jamie as the Lord Commander of the Kingsguard, and says he's still going to serve his king, just not from the city. You, you can still do my bidding. Yeah, I'll, I'll grant you that privilege. 
Which, uh, that could be seen as protection for Jamie, because as Jamie points out, what am I going to do? Strip naked and walk around the city? Do right. I got to spend a couple months in the dark, black cells? What's what's going on here? Yeah, get him away from the... Yeah, send Michael off to uh, Sicily uh, and have him cool his heels down there. Maybe he'll meet Apollonia slash Brienne. Uh, he's going to break Tormund's heart into a thousand pieces. Uh, <laughs> so, question for you. What do we call... What do we call the forces of King's Landing and the King's Guard now? Is it the Faith Militant? Would that I are they reinstated so. or is the it faith, just like the faith, faith Militant are the dudes in bathrobes with the chains and the hammers? The King's Guard are still the King. So you got the twin pel- okay. pillars. Like it's still still a division there yeah. visually, but but yeah. less so power structure wise. Well, it's like who I guess you're ultimately loyal to as well. Right. I mean, that's the thing. Like when you start going the Baylor to Blessed route and start blending religion and politics, it's you know, like you're right. You're, you're whoever's serving God. Well, is, is unless the seven gods come and and all seven unanimously say this is what we want to do, you essentially have two men that are both claiming to support and uphold the faith. If they have a disagree, uh, you know, a disagreement of opinion. I mean, this is going back to Varys Riddle about who holds the power. Yeah. Um, it's it's ultimately I think that that that, that they can essentially show us the people because it seemed like the people were on. The high septon side the whole time, but mm-hmm. the conspicuous is said when when Jamie was trying to throw his weight around like this isn't right, you know. And yeah, already the Lannisters not super popular in King's Landing. Yeah, they've had shit thrown at them, and crowds are trying to tear tear them apart. Yeah, I'm trying. I'm trying to come up with a scenario in which Marjorie ends up with kind of the control over the Faith Militant, you know, via Tommen. Like, if if there really is a union here. Could Tommen potentially be both the king and the High Septon at the same time if, you know, the High uh, Septon were to disappear, maybe? I don't know. And also, you got to wonder, what is now the High Septon's goal? What does he want now? He's got King's Landing under his well, control. he's got the power. He's probably going to wield what it. What reform... But yeah, but what real reforms are he going to make throughout the land? Uh, good question. I, it depends on what you consider his motives, I guess. Yeah. Um, I still don't think his motives are totally pure. I don't either. Uh, I think he's in it for power more than he would but admit. But I also don't think his motives are sinister. Uh, right. Not by not by the definitions of the faith. Like, I do think he's going to try to put forth a populist program or else... Right. Mm-hmm. What, you know, what's he, going, what's he going to do? That's his brand. That's the source of his power, so he'll keep doing that. And I, I guess I've been th- trying to figure out what his plan was to deal with the immediate threat for so long that I never really stopped to think, what the fuck does he want? Like... How does he want to see the Seven Kingdoms? Yeah. If he had complete control and Tommen does whatever he wants him, what is he going to do? Zero sin. <laughs> sure. Zero sin. I mean, that's Thought pro- crime. that is his end game, right? Thought like, crime. Yeah. Like, well, you sin, you're punished under the, the his laws, and yeah. and anyone who is sinning by his definitions, it just be, it literally becomes a shell game where his definitions are now under the correct shell, and yeah. the Lannister definitions of right and wrong are out the window, sure. and everyone else's are. Sure. And and whether you agree or disagree, it doesn't matter because he has the power. I mean, he's he's no different. He's okay. no different than any other king or or authority figure. Okay, that's our editorial point of view, anyway. Yeah, that's some mine people anyway. were, I feel like we're too hard in the high septon. Well, I have biases. Sure. I will I will admit to those for sure. That's the thing. We've, I naturally suffer, don't we've like suffered this guy. the lash of uh, fundamentalist theology before, and we don't like it. Right. So, so reflexive. You're trying sure, to ask a prisoner but... of war what his thoughts are on torturing non-combatants. Like it's right. not good, not good, Bob. <laughs> okay, uh, let's. Uh, I, I do like in this scene how 
just how sickened Jamie is by this whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, both when he's on the steps there and looking at Tommen's uh, conversion, and also when he's being dismissed as the Kingsguard. I, it's... Ugh. It's his own son. And do you think... So has Tommen made the realization that Marcella did, or is he completely blissfully ignorant? Because, man, there was a lot of guilty looks between him and Kevin Lannister. Yeah, there Which were. makes me think that Kevin... You know, did Kevin start doing the math and think, like, my son's going to be one of the guys getting his head split open by Jamie and the, and, and the, the Tyrell crew? I'm going yep. to call yet another Audible this uh, episode and work with the, the easily influenced boy. And and just his his tendency to not want to do what Cersei wants to do. Yeah. Um, that's you, You're you're not going to bet wrong by backing the opposite play from Cersei very often. That's true. <laughs> like, that's, that's a remarkably track. That's definitely better than chance kind of track record if you back whatever play she the opposite play that she wants to make yep uh okay let's go over to uh walter heisenberg frey uh waldo frey Walt- walter gets- <laughs> yeah i just want to make sure you get it right once before i get I'm a million pieces never of feedback. i refuse to get it right uh waldo frey gets news that the blackfish has taken river run and he demands that they take the castle back and he carts out Edmure Tully as a pawn. Nailed it. I had to look this fucker's name up because I haven't seen him in a long time. Sure. And I didn't remember how Literally the last he was. time we saw him was he was getting his clothes torn off as he was getting put away for the bedding ceremony in the Red Wedding, which is back in season three. Jeez. Yeah, so it's been a while. Uh, it, it, it's... Okay, so between the last... Or actually, this, the last episode... The last scene, this next scene, and this scene... Mm-hmm. Are, are we going to have a clash here where Walder is going to River Run to take it back from the Blackfish? Jamie's doing the same thing. Is that where he's headed as well? Does seem like it. Okay. And you got Bryn uh, mixed up in there. You got Littlefinger's right. forces in the wind. What are they going to do? Um, it's going to be a River Run clusterfuck. Yeah. But the thing is, is they keep avoiding the conflicts. Like, we said the exact goddamn thing about King's Landing this episode, and that was... And I'm not complaining, because what happened in King's Landing felt natural and... But, yeah. like, I'm not yeah. getting myself too hyped up for a goddamn four-way battle royale between a bunch of beloved characters and hated foes and to watch it just be either a one-sided massacre happen off-screen or a bunch of fancy talk and words or winds carrying today. Yeah. So something will happen at the confluence of all those forces. It may or may not be spectacular. Who the fuck knows? I think it – I don't know. This show does when it goes for those set pieces – it does nail them, and it is spectacular. And I feel like the longer they build it up, the better it is in the end. You but know? Do, but if I, if I want to see a big set piece, do I want to see like some kind of crazy clash at the wall? Do I want to see Danny riding over with their screamers on wooden horses with the dragons in tow? Do I like if I yes want and to, yes? Yeah, so it's like if I <laughs> things to blow my budget on the Tyrells and the Freys and the Knights of the Vale and Brienne somewhere in the middle you know butchering themselves at the riverlands not that's not the big stake so i mean i guess i'm selfishly hoping that that does tend to be a more di- diplomatic solution okay that, that's fair i i think i don't know the the budget i never feel like the budget is a concern on this show but it is we like, do know like the, that's how you get yeah, but it, just, it never right, right because it's like oh shit it's the 10th episode 
We really uh, nailed hard home, so well, it doesn't look that bad. <laughs> I I just always feel like when a fight needs to happen, they don't they don't uh, shy away from spending money on. it. I agree. Yeah, and and in this case, sure. it did like you said feel natural that the fight wouldn't have happened in King's Landing, even though I really wanted it to, and I think it may still happen eventually. It's just it didn't need to happen right now. Yeah, it wasn't the natural event, so. I'm not too worried about them them not having money for these big sets. It does seem like it's the beginning of the end of the phrase because they got the Brotherhood Without Borders causing ruckus. They've lost a lot of their minor houses that they rely on for support. Yeah. They've lost, you know, the preeminent castle of the Riverlands. Yeah. Which, why... It's weird. I thought it was weird that Walder Frey stayed at the Twins rather than going to the River, river Run. It'd be like if you lived in a trailer... Mm-hmm. And there was this really nice six bedroom house that your your most hated foe lived in, and you were able to buy him out somehow. Would you live in the trailer, or would you like you know what? I'm going to I'm going to kick up my feet in this guy's house, and I'm going to drink his wine, I'm going to smoke his cigars, and I'm going to shit in his toilets. He just stays in the fucking. I guess he's a, he's old as hell. And he's yeah. set in his ways. And doesn't he... like moving. Probably it's a. Ha- I mean, imagine the hassle it is back then to move. Yeah. I oh mean, yeah, that's you, true. You, you have people doing it for you. It's not like he'd have to box anything up himself. But yeah. Man, I hate moving. And his poor little wife, man, she looks increasingly terrified of of, of him and his creepy advances. Yeah, uh, everyone looks kind of creeped out by the whole thing. Yeah, it's like, pretty they, bad. They t- show a shot of people at the table, and they're all kind of like, Ugh. bad scene, bad scene all around. Yeah. We go back to Jamie drinking and complaining about his situation to Cersei, who advises him to lead the army and take the castle back uh, in River Run while they bide their time and they find another way to take the High Septon out. Uh, she says, Hey, I'll be fine here. Don't worry about me. I've got a trial by combat coming up and I have the mountain. Mm-hmm. Which feels like famous last words to me. Sure. Really, really what feels like wrong? bad foreshadowing for her. Uh, then they make out for a second and scene ends. I do, I, I do like this. This is a much stronger Cersei than we get in the books because she brings up a good point. Like, you need to go out in front of our troops and and show leadership because ultimately you're now the head of the house. You now can can. This is like you, yeah. you've been kicked out of the Kingsguard, so presumably you can hold lands and titles and do all that stuff. We need you to be the leader because if our troops start to doubt us, then what do we got? Mm-hmm. You know, we can't let the Tyrells just keep running these things. So I thought that was pretty smart of her. Like, she's counseling, for once, she's counseling patience and wisdom and, and Jamie's being kind of hot-headed, impetuous person. Yeah, and she sends him out um, toward the castle. Now, one thing we didn't talk about in the last scene uh, with the confluence of all these these people coming together here is Brienne and Jamie could have another meeting. Yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, they're both headed to the same area of the world. I mentioned Brienne being in that mix, but yes. Yeah. And that's and also... Is that it... something you're hype about? Are you? Well, like I said, if I was Tormund, I would felt like someone just stepped on my grave because yeah. uh, if she thinks you're just the goofy-looking, slightly menacing, you know, red-bearded fellow, well, Jamie is the golden boy yeah. who's also the wounded wooby and she's feeling sympathy for. Like, yeah, no, I... Man, I'm an old-school Jamie Brienne shipper. Oh, I know. Back in the day. So, <laughs> yes, yes, a thousand times yes. Okay, good. Uh, we t- kind of talked about, you know, Cersei's famous last words there. I don't think this trial by combat is going to go anything like she thinks it will. Well... It, it could it could be another repeat of the Mountain versus uh, Oberyn. 
or Tyrion versus whoever the fuck was the champion for uh, the, the the Lysa up in the right. Vale. Like With every Bron, time yeah. there's a person, there, anytime there's personal combat involved in justice. First of all, that's such a fucked up concept. Completely. We've talked about that. But this is why. This is right. why it's a fucked up concept because you just never know. You, you can yeah. stack the deck in your favor to get the thing you want and then, you know, Ober and Showboats instead of sealing the deal. And how is yep. the mountain going to fuck things up? There's some interesting speculation in the feedback that we'll get to, but uh, okay. I don't know. You're right. It does seem her, I have the mountain. What can I fear? Is, of course. Is uh, counting your mountains before they rise from the tectonic plate i I don't know what the analogy would be there but she's (laughs) relying on it maybe uh, in a foolhardy way all right bran wakes up and the guy who saved them reveals himself to be none other than benjen stark and he tells bran that he'll be ready for the night's king when he shows up you know i don't know how he knows that but maybe he just has some faith in bran uh so uh, another thing that that i'm i'm thinking about here when I when I think about Bran and his visions and whether or not he can see the future, is he clearly didn't see this shit coming. <laughs> sure. Like, he did not see that this was going to be Benjamin Stark. Uh, he was as surprised as anybody when he pulled back his... Sure. Maybe more surprised than the audience. Yeah. But, yeah, maybe he, maybe he can only see the past here. Not sure. Or he's seen the future and he doesn't have any context to put it in. Or, like he, this was... you know, he can only see the Three-Eyed Raven, what he saw, so... No, it's interesting that... that... Bran literally is the three-eyed raven now. Is yeah. what's the significance of that? Do you think that there is a part of the three-eyed raven that's literally like I'm 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 thinking my Obi-Wan ghost theory is is got a lot of support in this episode. Yeah, I I mean we've talked about how Bran might literally be the three-eyed raven. Like, like he, that this might is a actually mantle be an old that's, brand. that's that's that that is passed on to him and what comes with that mantle? Does it come with power? Does it come with visions does it come with the prophecy does it come with the knowledge of everything that's ever happened like how and and how is that used as a weapon against the white walkers all right. interesting questions it is it is um what did you I, think I of him serving answer. serving bran up a, a cup of fresh squeezed rabbit it seems like some ritual to me either yeah. that or just you need some iron like <laughs> what I I don't know what the deal is there, but I, I thought it was it's very conspicuous that they made he made him yeah. drink a, a cup of rabbit's blood, but I don't know for what purpose or why. And the other thing we learned in this scene that I think you wanted to talk about earlier is there is a sort of reversal or halting process very similar to what Grayscale has, yeah, whereby these children of the the forest can stop your turn into a white by jabbing you again with obsidian in the heart so i don't think he was turning into a white walker because right. when people get stabbed through the chest they don't become white walkers they become whites yes uh so it seems like that the same the same cause of the disease of the white walkers is also the cure for it which i that does you know it's like whatever it's, it's magic yeah. it's right. like you know like if if the the dragon glass is just the key, then it's your intent or your will behind it that does the actual magic. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know, but I thought Maybe that was interesting. Grayscale is the cure for grayscale. More grayscale <laughs> is what George More grayscale. He needs to go and rub up against a bunch uh-huh. of stone men. And uh, yeah, uh, I I don't know. Um, because a lot of people have speculated that like dragon glass is the key to defeating the white walkers but what if it's a little bit more literal than all that 
Like, like, are we going to live in a world where everyone okay. prophylactically shoves shards of obsidian in their hearts? Yep, I like it. And or is that now? And that's the other thing. Like, did we see the end of the children of the forest? Is that something that only they can do? Is that something that Brand can teach yeah. others? Because if that's the thing, and like this has become a lost art, then well, Dragonglass still is pretty nifty against them, but it's not going to be able to save or preemptively save you. Yeah. What if? Uh... I don't know how this works because he's already dead, but what if Jon Snow is turned into a white and has to then re-kill himself by stabbing himself in the heart with dragon glass? Yeah, yeah it's... A double death sure. here and, like, is half white sure. and half dead and half human. Yeah. 150% all well, the way. yeah. Well, I'm I'm really tempted to go into spoiler territory, but I have to wait till Friday. Oh, okay. Because that, that just reminded me of some other stuff we've been talking about in the last few weeks, so... Hmm. Let it be. All right. Let it well, be, let's Aaron. move on to the final scene here yep. with Danny leading her troops when she notices something weird in the mountains, and she leaves the pack. She rides out of sight and comes flying back on Drogon, and she delivers this rousing speech about how she's going to use all of them to kill her enemies. Yep. See, all of you are Not- my blood riders. That seems like weak leadership. It's like I don't know. Does who, it? Why? I, it's like you know you get. You, I don't know who to. It sounds like something that. Um, What's his face to do on uh, the office, Michael? Mm-hmm. It's like he has to pick a team leader, and he can't. You're all team. So leaders. you're all team leaders, which means none of you are. Like it's it's that kind of thing, right? Um, it also makes me wonder, like how far can how much can you change the traditions of a culture and a society, and have them still on your side, and have yeah. them still fall in line with tradition and culture, like. Danny wrote off for less than five minutes, and like I, I, my read of this Kalisar was they were starting to get bored and like mm-hmm. fuck this shit. Let's go back to raping and pillaging. You're taking that over to Westeros, right? That doesn't like wildlings. You're bringing wildlings on horseback over, essentially. Well, my point is, she's completely shirked any kind of of semblance of Dothraki culture here, right? Like she's that, she, not only is she not a cow, yep. she yep. is also not only choosing three, I guess. Kalisars to ride with her. She's choosing, she's them, choosing all. them all. So, see, like, she's completely subverted their their cultural traditions. Well, see, I thought right up until she said, "You all are my, you are my Kalis, and you are my blood riders," and you're. So she went Oprah on it. I thought she's going to say, "I select my children, my dragons. This is the first, and we're going to liberate oh. the other two. And I'm like, "That's fucking badass." Okay, but then I'm like, "Oh, all right, well." Hmm. This you, you know this didn't exceed my fan fiction I wrote in my head in thirty seconds. But the other thing that bugs me about the scene is it is it just me or does these seem like seem like second rate Kalisar? Well, all the good Kalisar are dead. I guess, but like these guys, <laughs> like, like you look this around is the crowd, the bench of th- th- There's a lot more Ron Jeremy types than Drogo oh, types. Really? You know? I didn't see many Jason Momas in there. There's a lot of. A lot yeah. of fat, hairy dudes. Which Just a bunch of Paul Giamatti's. You can on put horses. me in a leather vest and, and put me on a horse and see how well I do in combat. It's <laughs> it's not going to probably be something spectacular. Um, the other thing I want to talk about is pretty on the nose for Game of Thrones to say that Euron's building a thousand ships and then. Dario guesstimating right. that you'd need a thousand ships, maybe more. I knew he was going to say a thousand before he said it. I'm like, oh, how many ships do they need? A thousand? Of course. Yeah. So even like, what? More and then and more their, I their wonder, little wink, like, not yet. We don't have the ships. More and more, I wonder what the fuck was going on with that hundred ships. That just seems like it was 
Oh, the burning of the ships? Yeah, yeah, like yeah. That, I, uh, that's, that's a little annoying. The final thing I want to talk about in this scene is how did Danny know that Drogon was there? Because I looked in the scene, I thought maybe there was a shadow. But I didn't see anything. There's like a dust devil, but... Yeah, just she felt seen, it. She is, is the this, force. Is this, yes, is this a hint that she has some kind of yet unmentioned extrasensory perception power with these dragons? Yeah, I mean, she's the mother of dragons. She could have a connection, sure. Yeah, which explains why Drogon kind of rode to her rescue in the, the Great Pit, but also explains why, or doesn't explain why he didn't ride to her rescue. I mean, maybe she knew yeah. that she had to do... I mean, I don't know. Like, you can explain a lot of bullshit with mental telepathy between the dragons, and they haven't done a great job of explicitly saying this, but I was trying to think if this was a hint, that she hmm. just kind of gets a pensive look on her face, wait here, and comes back on her dragon. It it probably is, because I saw nothing that would indicate a dragon in that scene. Not even a sound. Like, no. if, if you hear a dragon scream, then that, that would make sense to me. Yeah. But, uh, I mean... The dragon itself looked great, and he is huge. He is so much bigger than his brothers at this point. It's ridiculous. Uh, you can definitely see how getting out and stretching your wings and eating unlimited, unlimited diet of horses, goats, and little children have, yeah. have really fattened him up. Does body good. Yeah, dragon body good. Yep. Uh, all right, that's about it. We talked about kind of the, the ending there, so I think we're done with the recap. Yeah, I wish that, that, that I feel like that's where the budget was a little lacking is because not only were the cows more Ron Jeremy, but they also were seemed like 300, if that. Whereas we had seen... 300? Yeah, when we seen like there's like 100,000 of these guys in the pre... like And it oh. looked like a massive crew of people. And this, like... And they, they had like the narrow mountain pass, so they kind of try to stage it in a way where like, well, yeah. maybe this is the vanguard, but... Yeah, it's like the the troops in World War One marching through the cities, right? Like the line doesn't stop for yeah. hours or days, yeah. even. Yeah, and like you know, I also think it's like the entertaining game of telephone taking place because like Danny, Danny's screaming, and maybe the first couple hundred can hear her, but everybody in the back's like, "What's she saying? <laughs> right. What's this about?" And like it just keeps getting relayed, and by the we're end, all uh, cows now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. By the end, of you're all cows, she's gonna feed us to dragons, what? right? And there's murders and rapes going on in the back of that crowd. <laughs> yeah. It's just a party yeah, back there. Yeah, we're all uh, cows. Yeah, <laughs> woo. Um, all right, there you go. Yep. All right, uh, that's it for the recap. Why don't we do some feedback? Hey, I've got uh, some stuff to tell you about Club Bald Move. Uh, we actually got something coming out next week that's going to be cool on Wednesday. It's our pl- playthrough, the final chapter of the Telltale Game of Thrones game. And if you kind of, I, I know it's kind of a nebulous concept to describe what these are like, but uh, we are going to release the very first episode we recorded uh, to the public, so everyone can enjoy it. The these episodes are usually for club members only. But, you know, we want people to get a preview of what you're what you're looking for or, or what you're going to get. Uh, we also have all the playthroughs of the same uh, family of games for The Walking Dead. If you want to check that out, uh, for example, of like, you know, how we do our thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it's it's us cracking wise about this video game and having fun in the Game of Thrones universe. If it's worth a buck for a month or two bucks for a month, uh, you know, we just do crazy things on camera and on microphones you decide so uh but if you want to you go to club that and for as i mentioned as little as a buck a month you get a bunch of fantastic features you get ad free feeds 
you get to watch our podcast be recorded on video. Fastest way to get the podcast because, you know, you can't get any faster than concurrently as we're recording it. Uh, what else? We got uh, bonus features such as lunch uh, with Jim and Aaron and On the Rocks with Jim and Aaron, which is our nightly and afternoon variety of shows with the live yeah. Q&A with the audience. Uh, we got uh, Quit Your Pitching, which is us uh, taking turns pitching crazy television ideas to each other. Uh, VIP sections on the forums. Lots of premium features. And at the end of the day, you're doing it to help support our independent efforts at podcasting. And the only way we can bring a three three shows of Game of Thrones coverage a week is because we are doing this as our full-time gigs and as independent podcasters. So if you'd like to keep that going, please go to club.baldmove.com and find out how you can support us. Uh, if you do not want the long-term commitment or even the short-term monthly commitment and you're not interested in the bonus features but you want to support Bald Move, uh, another great way is to use our Amazon affiliate link. And you can do that really easily by just navigating to amazon.baldmove.com once you do that, it takes you right to Amazon, and anything you buy in that session, uh, we get a teeny tiny cut of. And it adds up to uh, a pile of uh, of uh, gold dragons at the end of the month that uh, we split between the two of us. Uh, and uh, that's another great way to support us. So Amazon.BaldMove.com or Club.BaldMove.com. Feedback, John GP. Uh, we're going to have a little bit of last week's feedback, as is our want. Uh, is the implication supposed to be that Willis Hodor always knew what was coming and that he always knew that he'd die that way? Uh, what is your what is your I, thought on this? Because there's a couple... I don't th- know. That's a good question. So, I was pretty staunchly... Hodor had no free will last episode. But a couple things have come to light. One is the an interview with the character, the guy who plays Hodor. Yep. And he was pretty adamant about that... Bran only warged into Hodor enough to calm his mind, and then when his eyes cleared from white, that that was Hodor actually being his of his own free will and volition, choosing to save Bran instead of sacrificing or instead of you know trying to save himself. Right. Okay. And I don't know, like that's something in the books that Jojen was always talking about that like, I know that I've seen how I die in the manner of my death. And like, that's something that I've had to deal with. Like, I guess my thing is if, even if you wanted to say that you still have the fact that Hodor's had his brain broke since the time he was 15, 16 years old. So again, how do you actually measure free will? Someone making a snap decision in the last seconds of their life. I mean, if you want to make, Hodor a more heroic character you can do that but if you want to make it more of a tragic or a dark take on Bran's character I think you and again I'm not saying Bran did this because he's an asshole or he was selfish or he wasn't thinking it's just the thing that happened with him clumsily wielding his powers and Mm -hmm. you know I don't I don't think you can rob a man of 30 years of his adult life and say that well he chose to hold the door at the end and there's a right. couple other emails that said, well, you should really blame Mira because it was her voice. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I don't, you know, I don't know that. Like, how would you address, like, someone that's possessing someone else's body? Would you say, hold the door? Like, would you address him as Hodor? Would you address him as Bran in that sense? Like, people are trying. I'm not sure what you're getting at. What? People are saying that she was addressing Hodor, like, you know, giving him instructions as if he was a person and not like, hey, Bran, you need to have Hodor do this or that. And my thing is, like, when the. Yeah, I think she was. Okay. I did too. 
Yeah, I, so I think there's a little bit of loosey-goosiness with the editing. I don't know that the moment that Hodor finally arrives on the name Hodor mm-hmm. is actually the exact moment where he's killed at the door. Like, I don't think it's the second for second, the direct parallel yes. here. I think there's some some editing stuff going on. Like, Hodor, when he, when the, when he stops warging, is probably done with that seizure, right? In, in Willis's life. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, I don't think you can really read a one for one here and say this is exactly how it happened. Let me read the other email that I probably should have before we started discussing this from Jesse okay. P. He said, "I want to talk about the death of Willis in episode six hundred five. You guys mentioned the Brand Warg and the Hodor as Mira and him fled the tree fort after Iceman and the rest of the X Men arrived, and that Bran was in control through his vision. I want to strongly disagree with that, mainly because Willis deserves better." Uh, Never a strong proposition when you essentially say the reason you're advancing your argument is because you want to believe that something is true. But you can, I can say for a fact, uh-huh. given the eyes of these characters yeah. in the present, that at some point during his vision, he was in fact in control of Hodor. Agreed. Um, I maintain that the person we saw moving down the tunnel and holding the undead hordes at bay was not Hodor and not Brandon a Hodor suit, but Willis the Stable Boy. In the previous scene, we see Hodor snap to and become aware of what's going on as Mira is yelling for Bran to get into Hodor. This is consistent with what we've seen in the past when Bran takes control. But Bran's already occupied with the vision he's watching of young Willis having a seizure, hearing the sounds of battle, etc. Because of the fickle nature of time and the advice of the showrunners to think of everything happening at once, I'd like to think that young Willis is made aware of what his future holds, how he will suffer and die, and it causes a mental break. He's now replaced with Hodor. As the events unfold in the Blinky, the Raven's tree fort, it triggers the memories of that experience. It's not Bran showing through Hodor's eyes, but Willis waking up and fulfilling his destiny to hold the door as he's instructed however many decades in the past. So if I'm unpacking this right, he's saying a transference happened and that Willis the stable boy inhabits Hodor's body and Hodor's consciousness then gets overwritten back into the previous... Hodor's or the Willis's body. You know what? Hodor. I don't care. You don't I care? don't fucking care. That's I'm so over this. Like, look at what happened on the screen. Clearly, Hodor yeah. wanted to hold that door. Sure. Like, he wasn't worked into at that point, so he wanted to hold the door. Why he wanted to hold the door, whether he had a love affair with Bran or a dragon told him to do it in his sleep one night, who gives a fuck? It well, do happened. you agree that that was not, oh, he was God. not being worked at that point? Yeah, right. When your eyes are are clear, I don't okay. think you're being warged. Although, didn't people say like earlier on his I, eyes like I in meant, the in I the meant show? to go back. Well, it's telling because I meant to go back and look that up, and no one sent in feedback saying that it was true or definitely not. So okay. I, I I couldn't tell you. The show has told me when someone is warging or being warged into, their eyes kind of do a thing. See, I thought that their eyes turn to white and then they clear like they clear to show that hey, he's taken control, but then like. You know, they're not they eyes rolled back see. in their head because they still exactly they still need to see. <laughs> right. Um, so, Ultimately, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter exactly. It doesn't matter. And except if it for did it does, matter, they will tell us exactly. Well, my question here, and I know you don't give a shit, but humor yeah. me for a few more minutes, sure. is why would the Willis the Stable Boy choose to make a decision to save a boy and a child that he they, that they don't know and is in a situation is completely alien and unfamiliar to him like literally like Willis the stable boy someone he's now awake in his dark cave with ice zombies all around him and someone says hold the door and he's like yep boss right like i guess that would be heroic it would be but 
But why? But again, I think the point is it's a fucking tragedy. It's not like, and I'm not trying to take away from Hodor's awesomeness and like all that, but I'm just saying that he's not a war hero. He's a, it's, he's a tragic experiment gone wrong and it's sad. And I respect his character. I feel like people were angry with us for suggesting that he didn't do it for his own free will, but whatever, whatever, (laughs) whatever, man. All right. Michelle says, are we hundred percent sure that Drogon is a male dragon? Are you ready to talk about dragon sex? Uh, absolutely. Am I ever not hung like gorillas? All of them. Crazy. Mm -hmm. hundred feet long, you know, one inch peckers. Reptiles don't have external. Oh, it's even worse. They don't have Uh, external genitalia. Uh, <laughs> oh man! And Danny wouldn't be too well versed in dragon parts. What if Drogon is actually female, and he end- she ended up being pregnant from one of the other dragons, then fled to Old Valeria in order to nest? Old Valeria has lots of volcanoes, so maybe that's the best place to be in order to hatch some eggs. So she's essentially, well, okay. if I cut through the rest of her email, uh, she's essentially saying, "What if we're actually going to begat more dragons?" That's fine, and Drogon doesn't have to be, uh, you know, a, a secret female in order to do that, right? Like. I don't know how dragons reproduce. I got some lore for you. Oh, you do? Okay. And also, let's not forget, there are two other dragons flying around now. Yes. So they're not the only one. Drogon isn't the only one that's free. So there's a maester in the World of Ice and Fire, which is the big compendium that they put out in the offseason. And this maester is essentially George R. R. Martin speaking as himself. Uh, in the capa- in an in-universe capacity, mm-hmm. and um, and also Ma- Maester Aemon in the book says the dragons are not like one sex and other, but they're as changeable as flame. Oh, uh, life will find a way, sort of stuff. Yeah, like it, right. they essentially do. Like if you need an egg laid, they lay an egg. If you need an egg fertilized, they fertilize an Ian egg. Ian Malcolm is <laughs> coming into the the landing. Yeah. So, and the fact that like historical dragons were called male and female based because they couldn't really tell it's based on if you if the dragon ever laid eggs they called it a female if it never laid eggs they called it a male gotcha but so yeah i think that that is definitely uh it's possible that maybe drogon did start a family and you're gonna have a whole cavalry of dragons flying to the rescue yeah so moving on to ed b says i'm going out on a limb to try to summarize why a decent percentage of game of thrones fans are groaning after this latest episode which he's talking about the one previous to this uh and, and again kind of like this is the anti-time travel point of view right the writers are introducing elements that might allow for easy and convenient ways to address complex point plots later on and sloppily tie up loose ends need to resurrect someone no problem call a red priestess Need something or something messed up in Westeros history? Piece of cake. Bran can warg into someone who is there and make things right on the timeline. These elements make it all too convenient to slip into lazy writing and deprive the show and its characters of their due justice. We've seen this happen in many other TV shows and movie series. Lost in the Matrix are good examples. More often than not, when these devices are available to writers, they use them to simplify their task of storytelling, and the story suffers as a result. Mm-hmm. Uh, is he I- is Ed right to be concerned? Uh, I can see why he's concerned, certainly, because um, those can be crutches. But everything I've seen from specifically George R. R. Martin mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be writing a story that's going to rely on crutches. Well, he doesn't seem to be writing a story at all. That's, that is true. And, and in fact, now, <laughs> you know, the Double Ds are writing it. So yes. that gives me a little more pause. But ultimately, like, they've done a really good job up until now. Yeah. And I don't, I don't feel like not having any faith in them is warranted yet. It's it's hard because I'm very much a guy who braces for the impact. 
Um, okay. But I will say that it's not a great way to live your life because you essentially brace for 12 impacts and, and you only get one. So you're living yeah. in anticipation of... It's very stressful. Of, ...of punches that never come most of the time. So... Um, yeah, like this track record, like this isn't season one lost and we just open the hatch. We're six right. seasons in. We're near the end game and they haven't fucked us yet. Now, your it's mileage so... may vary. I'm sure there's a lot of people that have already sworn off the show, at which point you're not probably listening to this podcast. But sure, I'm inclined, just like it was hard for me to fathom that Vince Gilligan would completely fuck up the final season of Breaking Bad. It was completely unfathomable that Matthew Weiner would completely fuck up the end of Mad Men. Right. It's kind of inconceivable that the double Ds would fuck up the end of Game of Thrones. Yeah. But we are in such an unprecedented situation, unprecedented situation that I understand why people are nervous and afraid. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and when you do look at other shows that have kind of fucked it up, then I understand why he's a little worried. Sure, sure. And that's the thing. Like, I bailed out on Lost because at the end of season two, when, like, Walt, who was set up to be a central figure was just shuffled off the island. I'm like, this is fucking X-Files part two. I'm out. Right. I don't know if there were other signs along the ways that they were making shit up as they went along, but I just felt like there was a lot of red flags very early on that have been completely missing from Game of Thrones. I agree. This story has been much more rich and complex than I could have imagined. Mm -hmm. And it, and every, every time I, I see a crutch that they could lean on, they don't. They or they subvert it. it. They they use they, they take do that the crutch well, yeah. and shove it up a character's ass sure. instead of helping him walk with it. Right. So I I do have a lot of faith in both the the author of the books and the authors of the scripts. We'll see. We'll see. I know I might be eating those words here, but you know that's something I want to talk about because no one actually emailed. Usually when I do something like this, um, people email me, and I, I need to go back. I didn't have time, but I think I made a bet. On the spoiler cast with listeners, right. where I said I almost said that eat this horrifying scorpion that we've got up, up on the wall. This, we got this freeze dried scorpion. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, did, I think I broke it and threw it away. Um, and I'm like, no, I, I I'm not that sure. But I said I was so sure that Benjamin Stark <laughs> would not come back that I would let you write the word dick in red lipstick on my forehead. I hope not red sharpie. Oh, I hope man. it's red lipstick. Uh, and. <laughs> I, I got to find the exact terms of the bet. I'm pretty sure I lost it. I just need to see what I need to do, what what my walk of shame is going to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but if that's the case, then look forward to next week or the week after uh, me doing the full podcast on the live watch with Dick in giant letters on my forehead. So, <laughs> God, as my girlfriend says, why do you do this? You always make these. Like, you do. I, I narrowly lost a bet that would have me drinking like a fifth of alcohol on the air because of some Walking Dead bullshit. I gotta stop doing that. I would I really advise. Yeah, I gotta stop making bets on things I have no control over, and and then can't back up. Like the fifth, you can't. You can't. I could have killed me. This it was just going me, yeah. to be. I'm a, the worst. I'll have a skin reaction. And I'll have the words "dick" spelled out in rash Forever. on my forehead for ever. Forever. Yeah, I'll carve a seven-pointed star. star to hide it if it's going to be at the that. Like, I'd rather be a religious fanatic than a dick. Uh, let's move on. Okay. Uh, but that's that's coming. Just so all, all you Club Ball Move supporters uh, got, got something to watch in the weeks ahead. Mario P. from South Carolina says, Recently we've been discussing the inherent nature of magic, whether it's an innate nature, of pheno- a nature phenomenon or if it's tools used by God or God himself. And after the episode this week, I claimed the voice that Varys heard from the fire was not that of a god due to Bran's wait was not that of a god due to Bran's ability to match or exceed the qualities of a god. 
So that seems like a lot of double talk for saying okay. that Bran is a god. Which... So he's he's essentially trotting out the any sufficiently advanced technology uh, is attributed to a god or, yeah. or becomes magic. So if we use, he says, if we use the, ver- the traditional definition of god, which is also used by various religions in Game of Thrones, a god must have three omnis, omnibenevolent, omniscience, and omni- omnipotence. Oh, boy. Here's how Bran fulfills those requirements. Bran has been indoctrinated into customs and morals practiced by the Starks. So if you consider Starks' ethics to be moral and good, then by the trans- transitive property, Bran would also be good. Uh, but is he all good? Bran fulfills omniscience via the Weirwood network that is equivalent to the internet. The trees act as both source material and intelligence network, one that Varys can't even rival. Lastly, Bran can be said to be all-powerful because he who controls time controls the past, present, and future, which encompasses everything. You know, I thought that about X-Men Apocalypse, but apparently I was fucking wrong. <laughs> Quicksilver Silver isn't a god, so... Well, he can't travel through time. He's, He's not all-powerful. Really um, essentially... It's and, and essentially it's the last two attributes that suggest that Bran is a god. This doesn't mean that Bran was the voice that Varys heard, but it does prove that the act of fire speaking is not miraculous or supernatural, or rather fire speaking is a natural phenomenon. I don't know that that follows. Um, but at the end of the day, he's asserting that Bran, we're going to find out that Bran is the voice out of the fire that Varys heard when they threw his, you know, twig and berries into the flames. Do you buy that? Uh... I don't know that you. I, I mean, this is another instance. I don't want to get into this Omni stuff. Okay. Because that is an argument as old as the ages. Uh, I just. My I, commentary is I've never understood why it has to be Omni. Like, God can still be. Right. If he's just the most. Like, right. What, that, you did, you'd have a lot of logical conundrums solved if you just rolled the idea that God is the most loving, most powerful, Possible, most, right, most yeah. knowing thing in the, in the galaxy rather than Omni. But continue. Okay. Uh, but, I, I mean, there are a lot of qualities that would certainly make people think that Bran could be a god. Could They could be speaking to a god when they're speaking to Bran, or uh, that the influences on their life could be attributed to a god sure. when, in fact, they're attributed to Bran. Uh, I don't know that he's a god in the, tra- the traditional sense with all the omnis. Sure. He didn't fucking see Ben Stark coming back. Yeah. Uh, but he's new to it too. He is, yeah. I mean, I guess give him some time to grow into his godhood. Like, what would um, what would omniscience actually practically feel like? Is that literally like you Bored. know everything simultaneously, or if you ever thought of a question to ask, you'd instantly know the answer? Yeah, but you had to frame it first, so it's like maybe that's the thing. Like, you, until you, this is kind of like going to the Matrix, which you know, lazy storytelling. But like, but like, wouldn't one question begat another question in in like this chain reaction of just instantly knowing everything? Well, it's kind of essentially like Wikipedia diving. Like right. at what point do you run out of blue links to click? <laughs> yeah, if you have available like a, all the information. Yeah, I started. One question would just lead you down a trail that would. I started with military lasers. I ended up with gorilla dicks, and where do I go from here? I don't know. There's nowhere to go. I do feel like Muck it's, bang. I, and I, 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 it's kind of driving me crazy that we're doing so much of this analysis by looking at other pop culture for lenses to look through. But I keep coming back to what like the the Oracle said to Neo in the Matrix, which is, you're not here to get the answer to the question. You're here to ask why you're ma- you, you, you're, you're not here to see what what choice you're to make. You're here to understand why you chose the choice you made. And I feel like that's the thing. Like knowledge without 
that kind of like understanding of it is of limited use and that's like brain might not might not might know everything but he doesn't know why all these things are happening and how to influence it and that's the kind of meditation you need to sift through this sure. this omelet of information and, and and pick out the pieces you need to win the day i yeah. guess but that's just me now fan fictioning game of thrones right and i mean uh doesn't doesn't omnipotence and omnipresence uh require a certain amount of computing power like mm. from you know a biological standpoint like wouldn't wouldn't that maybe be a little difficult for a human being to cope with is regardless Brian human of now? uh in as much as he can still be killed and is not an immortal being um he still has the form of a human the, the physical anatomy. I mean, but, there's only so much physically that a human brain can do, I guess. Well, but that's what I'm saying. I'm well, applying too much science to a fucking yeah. magical show. Sure, sure. So, whatever. That's what I'm saying. Like I said, it's it's a fair question to ask whether Bran, with the mantle of the three-eyed three, three raven, could be considered human. Just the same way, like, post-singularity humans, like the technological... Can you still call oh, them right. as humans? Are they neo-humans? Are they... I, I would say no. Now homo superior? The, doesn't to, in any way resemble it. The, the, the crib another uh, X-Men term. Okay, let's move on to David F. Says, do you think, or what do you think about the idea floating around that a direwolf dies after their owner does something they're not supposed to do? Lady was put to death after Sansa lied about what Jeffrey di- Joffrey did to Arya and the butcher's boy. Grey Wind was killed after Rob married Talisa, even though he had vowed to marry uh, uh, one of the Freys. And Summer was killed after Bran used his powers and was touched by the Night's King. Uh, David... Okay. Admits that this doesn't explain Shaggy Dog, but he's one of the Shaggy Dog conspiracy theorists that believes that it's not that that dog's head was not nearly Shaggy enough to be Shaggy Dog. Uh, right. If you set aside Shaggy Dog for a moment, it, the logic does seem to track pretty clean. That when the Starks yeah, transgress so. against the ideals of Starkitude, uh-huh. their wolves bite it. What are the ideals of Starkitude? Honor. Is honor. like doing the honorable thing regardless of the cost, in my opinion, or maybe even just doing the right trade. thing. That honorable is probably the better way to do it. So, so Sansa lied, Rob fucked around, and Summer disobeyed his mentor and played with powers he couldn't comprehend. Yeah, so that seems yeah. like it's as far as theories go, there is a lot to support there. The one, okay, and then also even if uh, you, we don't know what Rickon did, I mean maybe Rickon was just a massive jerk, right? And maybe he wouldn't eat all his vegetables. Yeah, uh, he just that's wouldn't not stop busting those acorns or whatever he was doing on the table. Uh, so I think it's 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 like and it's one of those things. Is I also like it's because it's falsifiable. Like this is either going to be true or not. Sure. And all we need is another wolf death. Each each wolf death can either strengthen the theory or weaken it. So yeah. I'm on. Bo- I'm on board. Only a couple left. Yeah. Well, assuming depending on what you think of Shaggy Dog. Yeah. I mean, there's only Ghost and Namiria. Ghost right? and Namiria are the only ones that we know are alive. Yeah. Uh, and we don't even know Namiria is alive. That's true. Pascal D from Ontario. Wait, are we did he change? Does he change it to D to fuck with me? Because we had a Pascal C that I made a programming joke about. Every episode he goes one letter deeper. Or it could be I just mistyped because I. I ah. Yeah. Um. Anyway, Pascal from Ontario says, You mentioned on the podcast a couple of places Jorah may go to seek the cure for Grayscale. I have another. Could he possibly go back to his home on Bear Island to see if anyone there knows a cure? It would also, it'd also give him a chance to mourn his father with his family. John will probably be visiting Bear Island as part of his quest to unite the northern houses. 
Jorah knows uh, from Tyrion, his father was killed by the member of the Night's Watch. John and Jorah may meet, and John can discuss his time at the Wall and Jorah's father. Jorah may use this meaning as a way to tell John to join Khaleesi's claim as the one true queen. So, this there's a lot of upside to this theory. The downside is, why would he think to go to Bear Island? What presumably, possible cure could be there? Presumably they have a maester, and if you have to pick a maester to start talking to, the one from your home tower would be the one to go to. But I would think the one closest thin. to the info... Yeah. Would be the one to talk to. Yeah. Like, I'd go to Old Town if I were him, but uh, I don't know. It's a fine theory to get some final scenes with Jorah and his family and such, but... And he is pardoned now, so he could return to Westeros at any time. Oh, right. Yeah. Uh, so... He's no longer exiled. Uh, right. But, yeah, I, I don't know why he would go there for a cure, if, in fact, his goal is to find a cure uh, and do what Danny said. Yeah. Uh, Steve W. So who represents whom now? The faith and the crown are one. So the mountain in a trial of combat could represent either, right? Hmm. So here's the interesting thing. We know that when Tyrion was accused of a crime, the crown named their champion first. It's not like the defendant got the first selection in the draft. Mm-hmm. So wouldn't we? You know, we've been looking for the twist. I think what Steve here is suggesting is, what if the twist is the High Septon says, "I nominate one of the Kingsguard to to to, to do this trial." Robert Strong. Yeah. Uh, okay, and- that's fair. But then, I still feel like the Mountain is loyal to Cersei beyond any of it. Like I'm not a Kingsguard. I'm just Cersei's uh, soldier toy. Yeah, or even he's... So, let's say they do choose the mountain. Yep. Cersei says, hey, mountain, uh, I'm going to have you fight a beggar kid. Just mm-hmm. stand there and get killed. Uh-huh. They'd probably do it. He would. I would think he would definitely do it, yeah. So, I don't know that they can... Like, it's one thing to just say, hey, we're going to put this guy in there. It's another thing to make him fight and win sure. against Cersei's wishes. Well, so and, this, and also, who possible. ultimately controls him, Cersei or Kyburn? Could Kyburn be That's bought? fair. Um... It it feels to me like it's Cersei, but I like they haven't shown me Kyburn having control over him yet. Well, let me other let me, than being you know the Doctor Frankenstein. Let me go in this next one because I like this one as well. Joel C. Something hit me when I thought about the conversation between Cersei and Jamie. She makes reference to how she'll be safe in a trial to combat because she has the Mountain, mm-hmm. which made me think, who could be stupid enough to try to fight the Mountain on behalf of the Faith? And I realized, oh shit, Tommen, you stupid zealous boy. Could this be a play by Marjorie? Would Cersei be willing to sacrifice Tommen to save herself? What do you think? This is the horns of a dilemma. If the Faith nominates the king as champion, which I... This sounds really cool, but practically I don't know how this happens. Um, I mean, I guess if the king chose to do it. that's Right, same- doesn't he have to accept that? Like... Yeah, and there's all kinds of historical precedent for, like, that's the other problem with the mountain fighting against Cersei is that... Yes, the the crown and the faith and faith are one and twin pillars, but traditionally the king's guard defends the king and the royal house in matters of honor involving them. If there's any kind of trial by combat that you mm-hmm. that the king's guard are ready to to help him out. So it would be yeah. it's almost kind of like getting going against unwritten laws which, you know, the or what the faith are kind of bedrocked in anyway about that. And you'd have the same problem here. It's like Tommen is going to fight for the faith against his own mother. I, 
Well, I can see why he would do that because Marjorie could put him up to it, and and Marjorie's betting on the fact that Cersei would not want to see her son die, but she's then essentially choosing her own death. Sure. Again, uh, I like I like the per- the dilemma more than I like the scenario. So here's the other thing, and the thing that I think is probably going to happen. Okay, I think it's going to be Lancel. I I think she's going to have to choose between having the mountain kill Lancel or spending some Ooh, time in prison. Nice thing about that is Lancel's already beat the mountain once. Did he? He beat him in that joust in the very first season. Jesus, I don't remember that. Yeah, he okay. he, he played a dirty trick. He he um, I can't remember if his horse was in heat. Or he got the scent of a horse that was in heat and rubbed it on his horse so that the mountain's stallion was impossible to control. Huh. Okay. And then, you know, the, the memorably the stallion beheaded his horse, like, right then and there for failing him. The, the mountain did, yeah. Yeah, so, like, that would be an interesting foreshadowing of the conflict. Yeah, the, the more and more I look at it, like, they're prominently displaying Lancel. Like, every every chance they get, they show yeah. him with the weapon in his robe. Oh, oh, I'm like, sorry, I thought you said Loras. No, not Loras, Lancel. Ah, See now, Loris, if he was a true believer, I that that's okay. Well, so Lancel, that's one. What Loris is who I was talking about, who actually yeah, defeated I mean, the mountain. He seems like he might have been converted here. Plus, Loris was actually like a badass in his own way. Ah, okay. Um, so, I mean, again, he beat the I mountain mean, with that's... a little bit of a dirty trick, but you could probably beat the mountain with another dirty trick if you needed to. I mean, what a what a predicament that puts marjorie in right yeah like she's the one who's giving the power over like now she's got to watch loris die potentially uh or at least fight the mountain uh i none of this is going to be good like i can guarantee cersei is not going to like the person that the mountain has to fight (laughs) she's not going to be cool with it yeah it's going to or marjorie isn't going to be cool with it one of the two yeah uh i'm looking forward to seeing who it is but my money's on lancel at the moment Austin L. says, what do you think the possibility of Serial Pharrell, first sword of Bravo, saving Arya from the Waif? We never saw Serial die in season one, and right. if he did manage to escape King's Landing, Bravos would be the most logical place for him to flee to. We've been shown in previous episodes how outclassed Arya is by the Waif, and I believe by gaining Serial as an ally, it could be a reasonable way for Arya to escape the Faceless Men. I've been repping Serial Pharrell st- uh, lives for since season one Mm -hmm. and it's 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 i got not a shred of evidence other than some vague faceless men kind of hand waving and the fact that we never saw him die and fuck you i I want him to still be alive you know because what do you say to the god of death not Not today today. Mm -hmm. uh most of the plausible theories about him surviving involve him being a faceless man though which would put him at odds but yeah Again, I don't think the reason I ultimately dismissed him being a faceless man is that that what do we say to the guy to death? Not today is an anathema. That was literally blasphemy to them. Right. So maybe he just did escape and handed the knights their ass, and they were too humiliated to admit that they let this old man with the wooden sword get away from him, and he will swoop in and save her. I mean, there'd have to be something more than just a swoop. For me to well, also, to be okay with it. How would he have tracked her to Bravo? That's what I mean. How, like yeah. he can't just show up wielding sure. a sword and save her ass in a in a an alley. The three eyed raven sent me, Arya. No, <laughs> he's no, sending he people didn't. left, right, and center. <laughs> Definitely not. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, they'd have to lay some track for that. Because that's the thing. But... Like that's what happened to Benjin, but they had an explanation. Well, the three eyed raven had his distress signal that he sent out, and you've been right. waiting in the we- wings unmentioned this whole time. Yeah, and I'm like, I guess connected somehow to that. Yeah. Given the children of the forest here, I 
Yeah, but right. yeah, Serio would they would have to do a lot of explaining yeah. about how this would happen. Uh, Josh McM says, "What if it's Kevin Lannister who's behind the Tommen reveal? He didn't oppose the stripping of Jamie's Lord Commander title, and he also might have feared a fight with the death of Lancel. What better way of preventing him than to uh, preventing that than to unite the crown and the faith?" A little bit of dry pie there. Uh, I think yeah. we talked about. It. Let's move on. Dave W. Regarding Arya, I'm in agreement that the show has set us up to believe that she doesn't stand a chance against the Waif. My theory is that she'll need help at a critical time to defeat her, and this will come in the form of a Nemiria and uh, a Nemiria attack. This Whoa. theory presumes that Arya makes it back to Westeros before the Waif can confront okay. her. Perhaps a short setup scene where she has a wolf dream, etc., etc. Right. So, if Arya gets back to Westeros and there is like a long running chase where like the Waif is just missing her here and there, mm-hmm. it would be cool if they end up in the Riverlands and just as things look bad for Arya, a dire wolf comes and just tears the shit out of the Waif. It would be a more powerful scene for me than the Sansa John reunion, that's for sure. <laughs> would it? Yeah. At least they had a relationship. Come on. <laughs> They've been on screen together. Uh, I, like I said, the odds of this actually happening... Not great, but it's a satisfying theory to read anyway. Yeah. Danny H. says, Is it possible that the ultimate plan with Bran to defeat the White King will be that he has to warg into him? What if they meet beyond the wall and Bran uses all of his powers to take control of the White King and force him to kill himself? Well, I would say fuck you, Three-Eyed Raven, from before, because you could have done this the whole time and you didn't do it. <laughs> and he now powerful enough. You don't know. Uh, maybe, maybe. Uh, maybe he's the Anakin Skywalker, but it, I, this feels a little too, I don't think he has that ability. I think that's one of the things you can say he's not an Omni in is the ability to take, to warg into the Night's King. It feels a little too Harry Potter, Voldemort pointing wands at each other and just having a, you know, the green line snaking longer than the red line. Oh, the red, it's like, right. You can't end this series with a magical cast of the die. With a previously unknown power, I think. I agree. I, I feel like this would be, to... this would feel cheap. Yeah, I think I think it's going to be an ending that's more along the lines of political maneuverings and battles, not not magic. That's ultimately going to kind of take us out. We're not. I don't feel like we're going out on that note. Well, I think but I could. I be think magic wrong. will be prominent. But It'll I be can't... part of it, but not all of it. Yeah, like, because else why amass all these alliances together in right. the first place? If it's just, if you know, it's like I always thought with the whole thing with Lightbringer and Azora High and the Prince that was promised. Like it's literally one person that can decide whether everyone lives or dies and what the fuck. Right. That is literally the J.R.R. Tolkien shit that, um, and I have the yeah. greatest respect for Tolkien. But that and and so does Germ. But Germ has explicitly said that part of his resp- of, of writing his books is to kind of illuminate and and expand on the ideas. Like it's not as simple as like, well, you got one good man and he rules as king, and that's that. Like you know, I yeah. want to know what his tax policy is. I want to know what his policy was for the orcs. Did he pardon them or did he hunt them down to every last man and child? Did he kill all the baby orcs in their cribs? Like Martin is concerned with the details. It's not one guy with a magic sword. Right. Ending things. Which is why I actually like this work of fantasy. Sure. Uh, Laura McKay said, I'm glad that in the instant take you immediately caught the parallels of Jamie and Barrist and Selmy getting removed from their positions in the Kingsguard. But did you catch how well the actors from the play mimic their real counterparts? Specifically, the play Cersei being shut down and dismissed by the play Tywin, just like Cersei was shut down by her own father for any of her ideas. Or the younger, more beautiful queen actress ready to cast her down and take all that she holds dear 
uh, or recast herself in her part to take all of her accolades. That's pretty tight writing. I like that. I didn't catch right. it either. It's not, you know, it's Sansa in the play that's uh, the the actor who's trying to take down Cersei. Um, it's not Marjorie. Oh, but, yeah. But, but that would yeah, be that, almost two on the nose, I think. Right. Um, sure. Yeah, I, I noticed that. We didn't really talk about that, but I was reading a lot of responses to that on Reddit, too. Yeah, there's a lot of really nice uh, parallels and kind of poetic things about that. Yeah. Gage W. said, I had a thought after watching Arya's scene of the actress that she might try to kill Tyrion to get to Cersei. We know that Cersei has put a bounty out on Tyrion, and during the scene with the actress, we know that Arya understands Cersei's feelings because they mirror her own. Assuming Arya is able to escape the Faceless Men, she might plan to go to Marine to kill Tyrion and then cross the Narrow Sea to present her head to Cersei, using the opportunity to take her vengeance. Um, this has a kind of a serial Pharrell Maybe. problem: is that you gotta, you gotta, you gotta put Arya on the Tyrion, and that she knows the Tyrion's in Marine, and she's got to go to Marine. There's a lot of moving parts here, but ultimately, with yeah. that, how would you feel about Arya beheading Tyrion, taking his head back to Cersei? I would hate it because hmm. I like Tyrion so much. But um, I mean, that's not to say, you know, I would be angry like, oh, it's bad writing or anything. I just I like that character so much. Yeah. Uh, that it wouldn't be, it wouldn't I, be my favorite. Thing. I think it would work because I don't think anyone would recognize Arya at this point. I don't think, and I don't so. even know that Cersei yeah. would even like recognize Arya f- six days after she met her. Yeah, you know, she was always the afterthought and the one that's just you know Ned's weird tomboy running around in a half helm. Yeah, one thing we didn't talk about in the the recap was the motivations of Arya at this point. Like, uh, I mean, it it seems clear to me that she has changed her mind about being a faceless man and wants to fulfill her list. And it was pretty telling when she said, "My father, I have to go. My father's waiting." Like, right. This is the I, the whole reason I came over here is to avenge my father and to get the tools necessary. Yeah, and I've kind of been sidetracked with this faceless man thing for a long and time. Like, I don't want to be a faceless man. I want to be my father's spirit of vengeance. So right. Yeah. Uh, Ken Q from Australia says, It looks like the Double Ds are taking a page out of the Villigan's playbook with the name game. This episode titles in Game of Thrones are often very surface level in meaning, i.e. Hard Home, Blackwater, The Red Woman. So you can imagine how giddy I was when I got to play the name game and uncover not one, not two, but seven possible meanings that the title <laughs> Blood of My Blood may be alluding to. And one, for once, one for each point they're not star. all pre- preposterous. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> I wonder if it was intentional. I don't think so. Strip mining the star to make... Okay. <laughs> The title being the most obvious reference to Danny's big rally speech to her Dothraki writers at the end. Number two, Ben, re, or sorry, Bran reuniting with Uncle Ben Hands, uh, Ben Jin rather. Three, Tommen dismissing his father Jamie from the position as Lord Commander of the Kingsguard. Four, Sam's unpleasant reunion with his estranged family. Five, Arya's renewed sense of vengeance after refusing to become no one and confessing to the actress that she's about to murder that she had to go to her father. Six, the phrase using Edmure Tully as a bargaining chip against his granduncle, the Blackfish. And seven, which we can't discuss here. It's going to have to be wait till Friday. Did he mention the Jamie Tommen stuff? Uh, like, the, yes. Tommen dis- okay. dismissing his father. Yeah, yeah, that was like number three or something. Yep. I lost one there in the middle. No, like I said, the seventh we'll discuss on Friday. But I thought uh, there was a lot of uh, the bloods of my blood referred to. Surprising yeah, for amount. for sure. Uh, so kudos to them for having the surface level and the deeper meanings. Sarah C. said, based on the conversation about White Walkers at the dinner table and scoffing that Sam's brother did about them not being real, I think Sam is going to head north and took the sword so that they would follow him. 
Sam realizes that the Southern Lords need to believe for themselves to join the fight against the real enemy. I know this is a bit far-fetched since he had such a miserable boat ride and would be disobeying his orders from John, but he's already leaving Gilly and little Sam, or leaving with Gilly and little Sam, so logic is right out the window. He's already abandoned logical choices. I, this is the night, this is a nice bones of a theory that Sam sees the fact that this, the real problem here is the South doesn't, is ignorant of what's going on north of the wall. So I'm going to take my dad's sword and lead him on a merry chase through the wall so he can see firsthand that there are, are giants and there are whites and there are all these other things. And then Tarly could be a evangelist for the South. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm. I'm not totally sold on it. Like I, it might be kind of cool, but I think there are a couple problems. Like first of all, they think he's going to become a maester sure. at the Citadel, right? So he would have to leave breadcrumbs, and I don't, I don't know if he's going to do that. He certainly hasn't. Well, he can just yet. leave a note on the table. That's that's easy to, enough to get around. Right, right, uh, and he seems to want to become a maester though. Like that's the thing. That's the thing for me too. Like Sam going to the Citadel and he seems to have exciting. a purpose there. Yeah. Yeah. And even Stannis, when, you know, he, he brought the information about the dragon glass said, keep reading Tarly. It seems like that's what he's supposed to do. Like he, no, his I'm not con- saying it's, you know, impossible that he sure. doesn't do that, but yeah, uh, that seems to be where his head's at. Now it does make me wonder what the fuck he's thinking with taking the sword, uh, having told them exactly where he's going. Sure. And and he's like, yeah, bring it on. I'd like to see him try to take this thing Plus back. Plus, that sword is I, literally priceless. Like, mm-hmm. a, a, a robber on the road could could waylay him for it, you know. Like, it's, it's super sure. dangerous what he's doing here. It is. It is. And I just don't know why he would want his father to follow him back to the Citadel. So maybe he could be using it as a, as a diversion, right? Like, steal the sword, head off to a different location. If he doesn't actually think he needs to become a maester uh and send them on a wild goose chase to the citadel um there's also a theory i saw that sam's going to deliberately bring it to the citadel so the maesters could study it and therefore reverse engineer maybe valerian steel the only problem with that is it's not like the people lack extant copies of valerian steel in fact um some of the maesters have links made of valerian steel if if, oh. you, if you study the magical arts that was established that that the link you get for graduating the deprecated magical arts is a valerian steel hmm. link in your chain so and there's plenty of swords like they're rare but like if they wanted to study them they could so yeah that's the problem i have with that theory is like it just doesn't seem to make sense in light of all those other facts but yeah well i think if he does want to become a maester and he does go to the citadel he's going to have the he's going to have his father hot on his heels oh so so whatever happens with that i don't know but like they might just not let randall into the citadel right like you'll have to kill a bunch of maesters to get in here and then you can't do that without making the whole seven kingdoms getting up or let alone the reach um yeah yeah that's a fair point. I don't know what Sam's plan is. Um, hopefully it's more than just, fuck you, Dad, I take your sword. Right. Um, but we'll, we'll see. Kayla says, I keep coming back to Littlefinger's line from the last few episodes prior. It's time to join the fray. Now, we've discussed this in, I think, the spoiler section, but it's got it comes up a bunch of times because, again, not everyone's listened to the archives. So. Right. I was watching with my boyfriend, and when I heard that, I instantly gasped and thought he meant something about Walter Frey. Of course, my boyfriend thought I was crazy because he clearly meant the real definition of Frey, but after last night's episode, I'm not so sure. 
Is there a possibility that Littlefinger has a hand in the whole Frey versus Blackfish face-off? Or is it a complete coincidence that Littlefinger directs Sansa to go to Riverrun to see the Blackfish at the same time the Freys are going to attack? I'm still bitter about Ned, so I'm really skeptical about Littlefinger and anything he does. Yeah, I'm I'm all for the Littlefinger's got his his little fingers in a bunch of pies here. Like, I still think he could have sent that letter to John. I still think, uh, sure. yeah, he could definitely mean I'm literally going to get in Walter Fre- Walder Frey's business here mm-hmm. um, over at River Run. I yeah, I wouldn't put it past him, frankly. Yeah. No, I I again because why send Sansa Sansa whatever that way unless you have some plans. I mean, there are things, surely there are things that can take Littlefinger by surprise. Like, yes. do I believe that he was privy to the conversation with Walder Frey with amongst his sons about retaking it? No. No, but I also, if he had the intelligence, I think it's pretty easy to predict what Walder Frey would do if you had any kind of basic understanding of the man. Right. So it's it's really hard to tell. Littlefinger, I mean, because he's the one I guess is the most consistently surprising character in the series because I literally don't see the shit that he's doing. I, I don't see it coming yeah. at all, but it does end up making sense. And it does yeah. end up like you believe it like, Oh wow. You've actually engineered like that, that one reveal where you find out that literally everything of, mo- of, of, of impact that's happened in game of Thrones has had his hand guiding it. Yeah. Was just like, what this guy is on a whole <laughs> other level. Yep. Uh, Daniel J says, can we call total and complete bullshit on the faceless men having any sort of ideology at all? Last week, the wave said, you'll never be one of us. How can people who are no ones even refer to themselves as an us? Not to mention the wave is demonstrating major ego and self-interest in her hatred of Arya. Last night, it seemed more pronounced when she clearly demonstrated a desire to kill her for personal satisfaction and Jacken's face expressed disappointment. I mean, on the one hand, I appreciate this as being realistic because I don't think the people can ever fully lose their ego, opinions, or preference, but it just seems like their conversations are openly betraying whatever indoctrination they've undergone. I, like, I, I think you got, you, you've got you nailed it here, Daniel. This is probably all deliberate. Could be. You know, like, uh, she's really starting to doubt her commitment to Sparkle Motion here, <laughs> and, you know, she's got a clear idea of what it means to be no one, and Arya's not it. Yeah. The one true no one fallacy. I'm uh, with you, though. It is becoming pretty murky. Well, I bet, again, that's 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 real life. Like, no political yeah. movement. Like, it'd be super unrealistic if this faceless men rigidly adhered to their morals and in, in all cases and, and all possibilities. I guess my biggest question about that is why is Jacken allowing that to go well, on? Here's where we're going next. And we talked okay. a little about this in the um, in the main cast, so some of this might be dry pie. Feel free to edit it if you need to, Jim. Something I noticed from your discussion that was with the character with Jacken's face seemingly telling the wave to go hunt down Arya slash Mercy and the lack of specificity of the language that the Faceless Ones use that could lead to multiple interpretations. Jacken says to the waif something like, too bad, a girl has potential. The use of the indefinite article makes me think she could be talking about the waif herself, as if she knows she's going to get trounced by Arya and her needle. At this time, please don your tinfoil regalia and allow uh, follow me in the theory land. I know everyone has noticed the ubiquity of events or servants of the many-faced gods, and now Arya seems to be defying them to her peril, because it's like, why pull exaggerated faces when watching a performer you're supposed to assassinate, you big noob? Why would Needle be all the protection you need when you consistently get your ass handed to the waif, even unarmed as you remarked on the show? My idea is the show is preparing for a big reveal along the lines of a double-double cross to Arya's benefit. 
What if Arya was not making a series of stupid mistakes as she seems she's doing, but instead following directions from Jacken? Arya is impulsive, but nowhere near stupid. She may even be playing the role of someone who is wearing out her welcome amongst the Faceless Ones. The Waif may instead be the object of an assassination, not one of its instruments, and the idea may be that Arya is not as unable as she seems to defend against her attacks and could win a one-on-one fight. This doesn't account for Jacken's instructions not to let her suffer, unless it's either subterfuge or something similar. What are your thoughts? Nah. No? Nah. I kind of agree, too. I I just don't... It seems like an awful lot of trouble to get rid of Waif. Like, Jacken could just take her out. Yeah. Now, I do agree that maybe this is a final test for both of them. But I don't think that this is something that Jacken's worked out with Ari because I honestly I would feel pissed yeah. if I find out that there's scene after this is like the usual suspects all over again scene after scene of things I didn't know and couldn't possibly have known as a viewer right. to piece this puzzle together and just gets revealed in the le- no I, I don't and like then that. I mean you have to ask oh well why does Arya even like play along with all this when I, I mean you have to assume that the waif is constantly watching her which yeah. I don't know if that's true or not but. Well, I mean, we only see her in that back room that one time, although that could imply that she's been there all along. Well, and unless Jacken is actually speaking in code when he's talking about a girl has a point and all this other stuff, that no one also saw her bury a needle. Because it would have been been game over if she ever had done, you know, if they'd known that she'd buried needle and that was still holding on to herself. I don't know, like... The, the but thing, but the thing then you like can a, go all the way back and say this has been all a part of the plan. That's what like, I'm saying, and like I, it, com- it becomes too easy to explain everything that way. Also, it seems pretty clear that this episode. I feel like a lot of people are wanting Arya to be a faceless man. Like they want her to sure. s- to complete her graduation and what that. She already knows how to change faces and do all that stuff. So, arguably, she learned everything she needed to learn from them last season. This season, she learns how to fight blind. I feel like this is the story of her leaving the faceless men, not of her passing the final test. I could right, be wrong. I, I do, too. Uh, are, are you implying that she may actually just have the ability to take faces now? Didn't she? She did take faces, but I was under the impression that there was some some special thing about the Hall of Faces, which is what allowed her to do that. Not that she just now has the ability to disguise herself that way. It's anywhere yeah, I mean, right. at any time. It's, it's unproven because like, I've seen But, but I'm, I'm assuming there. I, yeah. I actually don't know. I mean, I've seen Jacken change his face away from the faceless men just by waving his hand in front of it. Right, so, like, but he's a graduate. Like, does he... Right. When do you get that power? When... Maybe you've had the power all along. Maybe he had pocket faces. Maybe he had brought a few with him. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I don't know either. And, but I'm just saying that's a possibility that she's learned what she needs to learn from... I mean, she learns... Every, everyone has taught her a little bit different. She had Ciro Farrell. Uh, she had the Hound. She had Tywin. She's had Jacken. Um, and they've all taught her different things. Like she's learned how to fight blind. She's learned how to lie convincingly. Cause that's something that Tywin called out that she's not a very good liar. And she's, you know, it's right. like, it's obvious that you, there's more to you. She's, that's a valuable skill. She's learned how to identify poisons. Mm-hmm. Like she's learned a lot, Like even, even without the face yeah. stuff, um, you know, she could pass through Westeros without ever being recognized. I feel like, yeah, unless, you know, maybe she got around the wrong people up North, but whatever. Um, let us move on to some dragon problems with Connor in South Carolina. I believe this scene where Daenerys rallies the spirit of her Dothraki warriors while riding Drogon fell flat, and I honestly feel cheated as a viewer. 
Up until this point, Daenerys' ability to control her dragons has been somewhat vague. At this point, I believe we are led to think that she simply has a natural bond with the dragons as one would a horse or dog, rather than it being based on some sort of psychic ability. That's fine. I'm totally okay with her just having a natural connection to the dragon, but please show this transition on screen. The final scene would have been so much more solid if they had either shown a scene where Daenerys confronts Drogon and Drogon submits to her, up until this point, the question of how is Danny going to manage the dragons has been at the back of our minds, and instead of showing this magical character-developing moment between the mother of dragons and her mm. dragon, we get a cut to her swooping in, giving a seemingly inspirational speech, while we did not get to witness any of the potential emotional buildup through said inspirational speech. I think he's got a point there, Jim. What do you think? Yeah, that's that feels like a pretty fair criticism. Because we've been talking about how is she going to control yes. the dragons, and, and Tyrion going down there with his show of faith, like, if that's something Danny can just do by jumping on his back and like, all right, you're broke. It does feel a bit unsatisfying. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I understand why it wouldn't have happened in the stadium. It was kind of heat of the moment. And, you know, it was clear that there was, there was a reason that Drogon swooped in and saved her. Yeah. Whether it's a psychic connection or just a horse connection. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I would have liked to see that moment a lot. Instead, they went for the, like, I guess the other, See, here's why it doesn't work for me, that scene so much with her coming back. And I, I read this somewhere in maybe an article um, that, that really hit it on the head, is we have seen this dragon stuff many, many times before. And she flies in, and we forget that, okay, these people haven't seen dragons before. Sure. Um, so they're in awe, but we're not, as audience members. Yeah. Um, so that emotion, that, that feeling isn't there in that scene for us. And also, how in awe are they? They saw her survive a supernatural fire. Like, just like... Right. But I, they probably don't even know dragons exist. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. The word was probably spread about her dragon babies and stuff like that, sure. right? They've got to know they're around. Yeah. But seeing it is a different thing. I, I just, yeah, I mean, it would have felt so much more... I don't know. Like, like I want that connection explained. I want to understand how she's going to deal with these dragons. Um, Matthew S. says, I'm not a medieval combat or strategy expert, but I have watched every episode of Spike's Deadliest Warrior. So you are. <laughs> <laughs> and I remember my ancient history. Cl- and he watched them in a Holiday Inn. So he's like... All of them in a Holiday Inn? No, I was just making a joke about him being an expert. Um, but I remember my ancient... Don't you remember the commercials about... I'm- the hall? No, never mind. I don't. I'm not, not going to no. make an, a, a, yet another crappy joke <laughs> and explain it. Explain. Um, that said, with how the pikemen from Highgarden were equipped in the scene at the Sept of Great, the the Great Sept of Baelor, how in the hell are the Dothraki supposed to help Danny and Westeros? They wear no armor. Their weapons will not penetrate plate armor, and I doubt that they are disciplined. A single battalion of those pikemen would slaughter every last Dothraki screamer. I'm pretty sure the Unsullied nah. could defeat them, and I have serious doubts about their nah. effectiveness against mounted heavy cavalry with their light armor and shields. Um, their understa- numbers. I mean, sheer numbers. They have so... There are so many of them. If there's 100,000, that's 100, a lot. But do you think the largest army in Westeros left, like the largest single army? 20,000? 30,000? That feels right. Yeah. Given some of the other numbers I've heard, yeah. Yeah. So I feel like twenty, thirty thousand of well trained guys who are archery and they're pikemen right. and all that could probably give a hundred thousand Dothraki the business. But could they give the business to a hundred thousand Dothraki five thousand Five unsullied? to ten thousand unsullied, yeah. Yeah. Several thousand unsullied and dragons. Yeah. That's I mean, the thing. Come on. 
There, there is no defensive maneuver against dragons. But on the other hand, his later point is why, if that's true, because he grants that. Like, it seems like any naked do, number one, like, what they're ideally suited for is combat against peasants and villagers, which something that Danny would not support. Sure. And also anything they could do in the, in the line against... So they're like, useless, is just... Is, is, the, is against the Knights of Westeros, one Drogon could accomplish what 10,000 of them could do. So right. why worry about a thousand ships when you could just go across with you know a few that has your unsullied and your dragons and you're good to go well i feel like dragons aren't the end all be all right there there are archers there are spearsmen like yeah there are there are plenty of weapons that can reach a dragon if it gets close enough to spray fire at you yeah um so i don't think a dragon is just the ultimate like nuke here Mm -hmm. i think you do need actual troops um I don't to, like to the fact that they're undisciplined and prone right. to raping and pillaging because that seems like the last thing you want to unleash upon Westeros at this stage in the game. Now, I'm not going to say his point is totally invalid. I mean, what could you do with a Drogon and two other dragons? What mm-hmm. could you do with three dragons and the Unsullied? A, a damn lot. Yeah. Like, you could probably take King's Landing with that. Yeah. I would guess. It feels like these 100,000 Dothraki might end up just being swelling the ranks of the undead, you know? Well, I think these 100,000 Dothraki are going to be more for use in in Essos. Uh, are going to take back uh, whatever it's called. Can she the, the, instill the some cities. kind of... Rapidly instill some kind of culture to, to where... Like, as they would be awesome if she garrisoned all of her free cities with Dothraki, I guess. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't seem like that's what she wants to do. She wants them to get on the wooden horses and ride across the salt sea and fuck up Westeros. But she's got... I mean, I can't see her leaving before she secures Astapor and Yunkai. Yeah, and, sure. And they will even, be super useful for sacking cities, yeah. And even Valeria now? Is that is that where Volantis. they... Volantis. Volantis, yeah. Um, so anyway, yeah, I'm kind of puzzled about exactly how strategically they'll be put into place, but, you know... What are you going to do? There, there are 100,000 guys she had before she didn't have. Or she has now that she didn't have before. Are, Does she's got to feed and, like, yeah, there, yeah. There is some in that, there are some problems. That's true. But I guess they presumably had plans to feed themselves. It's not like they're yeah. helpless. Mm-hmm. I don't know. How do you feed 100,000 guys on the plane? Don't ask me. That's always I been, like, that's, that's, that's why armies typically in uh, antiquity were not very large, because modern-day logistics, where you just fly shit from all over the world yeah. and truck it in, you didn't have. Mm-hmm. So... Doug L., uh, this week's episode creates an interesting problem for Danny. With Tommen seemingly seduced by the faith and the populace's approval of that choice, along with their already high opinion of Marjorie, it appears for the first time in a long time that the rightful, question mark, king and queen of Westeros have people on their side. Have the people on their side. Before this happened, it seemed Danny's homecoming would be welcomed, but now it appears she will not only... A need not only to conquer the major houses of Westeros and King's Landing, but also the hearts and minds of the small folk. They will mm-hmm. apparently not see her as a rescuer as she thought, especially if she has Tyrion, the hated imp, and notorious slaver Jorah by her side. I never thought about Tyrion, his how how evil he is known throughout the lands. Right. And the fact that he's the hand of the queen, like, that's not great propaganda. No, it's not. Not at all. Uh, I'm still operating under the idea that the prophe- that Cersei's prophecy is correct. Yeah. Uh, and the Tommen's going to die. So I don't think the power is going to be that stable there. Yeah, it's, um, it's a temporary, the, fragile stability right now. Right. So I, th- I think once that happens, she's 
I think she might go batshit and just unleash wildfire and kind of destroy the city and the the sept and like just everything with it. Sure. Uh, so I could see Danny coming in, trying to you know mop up that whole situation. Uh, Doug suggested perhaps the destruction of the White Walkers is the only way for Danny to get into the good graces of the people she intends to rule. Problem with that is no one down south believes in the White Walkers, and unless the entire North gets overrun, yeah, they'll be like, "Hey, I defeated the White Walkers." Oh yeah, White Walkers don't exist. How far south do you think winter's going to get? Man, that's the million dollar question. <laughs> If that's if that's snow in Danny's prophetic dream and not ash, then uh-huh. all the way down to King's Landing. Yeah, uh, before it gets pushed back. But I, I don't know. I right. don't know. Uh, let's not forget, Dorn is out there somewhere. Yep. The Dornish troops may or may not be marching toward. Sure. <laughs> toward that's King's a, that's Landing the other as well. Clusterfuck like, confluence we've been predicting. It's not arrived yet. We we know that they are hell bent on destroying the uh, King's Landing. Mm-hmm. So. And making them pay. So, well, do you think that we'll Dorn? Do you think Dorn comes back this season at all? Because if they don't, I, it needs to, right? They ha- if they don't, then I'm really on the camp of why the hell did we do this? Yeah, yeah, I think it needs to come back. I mean, you could have done everything they've done in the plot by just essentially saying at a small council meeting, and the Dornish people are really upset that we killed the Prince Oberyn died, and they're threatening a riot. Right. Like in, in two lines between Pycelle and Kevin Lannister, you could have encompassed all of the Dorn plot. Mm-hmm. So. I think we'll see him. I hope this season. I yeah. hope. Yeah. Uh, that's all we got for feedback. If you'd like to send more, Game of Thrones at baldmove.com. Don't forget, we've got uh, our forums at forums.baldmove.com. And we have another full podcast coming up yet this week. This spoiler edition. So coming much. Out Friday. Uh, and then, of course, the cycle begins anew on Sunday night with our instant cast. Um, but that's all we got for now. We'll see you in a couple of days. Thanks for listening, and uh, we'll see you then. See you.